again to the spirits of the wolf, the lupine figures of history who haunt our ancient forests and cry to the moon of our distant fears. I call to the pack, the hunt, and revere you, a humble servant in the lower ranks of the canine order. I once again long to feel your growls as they shiver down my spine. I once again long to feel the solidarity and strength, the community and support of the pack. Oh, wolf! Oh, my kinthrope! Oh, canine spirit beyond perception! I call to you! Oh! Oh, oh, oh! You... I knew you'd be coming again for a story this evening. I installed motion sensors. <laughs> I'm not joking. But yeah, I was thinking of mystical beings that I could pledge my allegiance, and indeed obedience to. And you know last year how I did like three different werewolf stories? Too few, if you ask me. Well, I think there's something to canine cryptids that... It's a tad bit more than biological, if you catch my drift. That wasn't a sexual innuendo. <laughs> Half joking. But yeah, I'm doing a ritual that I heard through the cryptid grapevine. I know it's the middle of spring in a location that may get snow in spring that, you know, I haven't actually decided to set the Fox Esoterica canon in yet, but we'll get to that later. But I have fur and can sort of stay warm in the snow. It did snow a couple days ago. That part's real. However, I won't complain if a big werewolf daddy holds me tight tonight. <laughs> no part of that was a joke. Well, might as well share a story about a canine cryptid before they start showing up. Sorry to drag you in the middle of this, but I wouldn't recommend leaving and walking through the forest by yourself right now. The ritual seems to be working. The last canines we covered were in Germany, but how about we head west and cover a French cryptid? Have you heard of La Bête de Gévedon? No? Yes, maybe? Either way, good. Let's not dawdle. Welcome back to Foxo Esoterica, the furry paranormal comedy podcast that is fully focusing on the furry this episode, because I'm once again going to thirst for a canine cryptid, I'm not sorry. I'm your host, Forsetti Fox, the fox witch who's not only monster fucker certified, but I actually do education if you're looking to get a license yourself. <laughs> Full disclosure, I wrote this outline before I wrote the Fresno Nightcrawler outline, so this is written to have been the March episode. I neglected to do this episode because I was going to be in the presence of Crimson, a wolf, and I guess spoilers, but also a little bit of a warning. There is a lot of actual wolf death in this episode, and I felt like it would be too sad. That being said, let's see how accurate this outline is to what I want to be talking about this evening. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to be tackling the legend of La Bête du Gévedon, or in English, The Beast of Gévedon. And yes, I will be saying the name like this for the whole episode, this vicious French 
wolf-like beast is quite notorious in as much as it is probably the cryptid with the highest confirmed body count. Which brings me to my next segue. Just as a heads up, the subject material for tonight's episode is going to be far more gruesome and gory than most episodes I've done, so I'd like to put out this content warning right away. We're going to be talking about gore and a lot of death, including the death of children. So if that's not something you're comfortable with, I'd advise against listening to this episode. But thank you for getting this far. I'll make sure the next episode is low-key. Oh, the next episode was going to be Fresno Nightcrawlers. Look at me. I'm so smart. Tonight, we're going to be joined by a special guest and close fur friend from Michigan, Bean the Bunny. And yeah, I know the intro ended early, but I don't have that much to talk about. Let's just get right to it. You hear that, Foxosoterica heads? This will be the first episode I decide to light a candle in the background, a woodwick candle, and you can hear it and be like, wow, we're really in Foxosoterica now. And I'm recording, and I'm assuming you're recording. Oh, yeah. All right. Alrighty, welcome back to Foxo Esoterica, everybody. I've got a new guest for this episode today. I would like to cordially introduce my good friend and Detroit furry rabbit friend, Bean the Bunny. Applause, applause, applause. Thank you, thank you. It's good to be here. This is Bean coming at you. I'm glad to have you here. Oh, yeah. I love you, Forrestie. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. I uh, made some lemon bars. Uh, I'm not going to be uploading this on the day I'm recording it, but just so everybody knows when I'm recording this, tomorrow's Mother's Day, and I decided to do baking for my mom and my grandma. But I've been working on that this evening. They were great. They're in the fridge now. I'm a baker. I got a, I got a really hard question for you, Forcey. Yes. Are those gluten-free lemon bars? They are not. <laughs> Oh my god, also my, my aunt has celiac. I, I'm stupid. I really should have done that. You know what, bud? That's okay. I'm going to wake up I tomorrow because I'm, I'm celiac. Fix so. that. Oh my god. <laughs> She's going to actually be there too. Oh my god. Oh no. You oh know what? God. Just make sure you point it out and I think she'll be cool with it. Totally. I'm also going to like wake up tomorrow and make those. Thank you for reminding me. I would have not done that. Hell yeah, bud. Oh. <sighs> You'll be, and you know what? You'll you'll be a better nephew for it. Indeed. And then the ones that aren't... The ones that are gluten-full will be from my grandma, because she eats gluten. I gotta ask you a question, actually, real quick. Because my grandma, my grandma is just getting to her 80s now. Mm-hmm. She is a sweets fiend. Okay. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of people in my life I've met who... You know, oh, I like to eat sugar, or I have a little bit. No, this woman's in her 80s, and she'll just give you a bag of jelly beans and be like, whoops, yeah, here you go. That's incredible. Is is your grandma in the same spot? I don't, I think she's, like, not opposed to sweets, but, like, every time I, like, she'll have, like, little hostess treats on the counter, or, like, she'll make cookies and, uh, she made a lot of cookies and brownies when I was in college, and she was like, you're going to college for the fall, here's some baked goods. But I think she is more of a baker and less of a consumer, if that makes sense. Mm. Baking is baking is fun. I Just enjoy the it. actual act. It's very relaxing. I had a good time doing it today. Cut a lot of lemons. <laughs> How have you been this evening, Bean? What have you been getting up to? I gotta be honest. This evening has been hilarious. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, I want to say, like four different local furries show. Maybe five local furries showed up with their cars because <laughs> we live right next to one of the busiest uh, race car streets in Detroit, uh, the good old Woodward Avenue. Love and that. I'll tell you right now, man, we had some shit boxes. We had some really nice cars. Uh, everyone's just outside cleaning their cars. I I was in the garage working on an engine. It's you know it was uh it was pretty funny to see, and we were probably the worst neighbors possible. <laughs> yeah, you were showing me pictures because you're working on painting your engine. Yeah, no, I gotta I gotta put a V8 in my my old Jeep Wrangler because the four cylinder decided to give up on me. So I'm just trying to make it look a little nice first. I'm here for it. I like it. Is, yeah. I, this is probably a stupid question, considering if you're going to paint something, it's probably going to be on the outside. But is this going to be, like, the kind of engine that, like, comes out of the hood and you can see it? No, you know what? I'm actually going for the opposite effect, where huh. you look at the Jeep and you kind of go, oh, that just looks like a normal car. But, then but you open the hood, you know? I like exactly. that. Yeah. That's cool. I, I gotta get back that direction shortly i was just telling um bean before we started recording but i really want to like make a way out to detroit because i'm back in michigan um i'm on three tangents now we're gonna go through the list first tangent everybody who's listened to the last couple episodes of this podcast i keep switching up where i'm recording am i in california am i in germany am i in scotland this episode i'm back in michigan everybody so all over the place am i which brings me to my next point. I gotta visit y'all in Detroit again sometime soon, but I have to go to Boston first because for my marriage visa, I am, for those who are listening to this episode for the first time, I married a German. I have to get a language exam done before I can apply for a marriage visa. And I was going to do that in Chicago, but the exam got booked up. So I have to go to Boston in a couple weeks. But I'll visit you soon. You know, we love you, man. You're always welcome. And uh, you get to try out some of the delicious gluten-free food that I'll make for you. I'm excited for that. Before I start each new podcast episode with a new guest for the first time, I like to ask them four different questions. It's my little four questions moment about your background on the paranormal, on ghosts and such. And I'll just start right into that. The first question is... Do you believe in ghosts, aliens, or anything else considered unexplainable and paranormal? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah! I rarely have guests that actually believe in ghosts on the podcast. Alright, hold on. I gotta give you... I I swear it's gonna be like a minute personal story, but that's alright. Oh yeah, do it up. That might actually answer one of the questions later. Okay, real quick. So, So my grandpa passed away when I was about nine... And my mom got real into like Ouija board and communication through all the different, you know, mystical formats. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, never really, I was like, ah, this is uh, not for me. Um, But they kind of held like a seance at my uncle's house one night. And um, I just, I was just kind of like, you know what, grandpa, if you're there, just like uh, help me play, help me play Halo. Like I was just playing Uh Halo in the other room with my cousins, right? Yeah. I literally felt like I had a chill go through me, and I, I like played a perfect game. Oh my god, that is incredible! And, and like you know, that's not maybe that's nothing, but maybe it's not. I like that. I so, like that is a really fun story because that's just it's not. 
it's the kind of thing that's like a gentle reminder or something. It's never like I, I like stories where they're not horrifying. Like I like gentle things like that. That's fun. That yeah, that, you know what? That's always kept me. Aliens for sure. You can't tell me that the universe is this big and there aren't aliens. Like that's just silly. Definitely. Ghosts, Do you think aliens yeah. have ever come to Earth though? That's the that's the big dividing line. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I just don't know in what capacity. That that I kind of am not sure about. For sure. I think I'm in that camp too. Like I, I'm never gonna be in the conspiracy zone where it's like they've been here forever. They're seen important people, but like more so in the they probably aren't interacting with anybody mood where they're just kind of hanging out and exploring a bit. But I mean, like, okay, let's say they are right. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say that there are freaking aliens like controlling. Okay. Like, I guess I'm just, maybe I'm thinking, I'm thinking, not thinking enough about this, but I'm like, what am I supposed to do about that, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> that doesn't change anything about your life if it comes to light. <laughs> my, my neighbor, my neighbor's an alien. Okay. Does he, does he do anything like dangerous? Well, no, but you know, he, he like cooked a steak and it wasn't a steak. It was like a, a rabbit leg. That That's affects weird, you specifically. Right, it's like, not really, that's not that weird, I guess. Just kind of like, I guess he's just kind of into the rabbit leg eating thing. You're a rabbit! This affects you! (laughs) You know, it does disturb me as a rabbit, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, respect. Like, you went out, you're my neighbor, you saw a rabbit, you killed it, and you looked me in the eye, and I was just like, damn. All right. I mean, I might be next and all, but I'm also just kind of like... I don't know. I feel pretty confident that I could take him down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question I have is one you, you kind of already answered, but just for posterity's sake, I'm going to rattle through it in case you have another one. Uh, do you have any experiences with these sort of things? And if so, would you like to share a story? Damn, I just went straight through that. Sorry about you that. You did it. No, you, you're saving time. I appreciate it. The third um, question. Hmm. Oh, yeah, unless you have another one. Nah, I, I I have I have some other stuff, but that's I'd say that's probably the best one I got on hand. Okay, if anything comes up organically, you totally feel free to go on a tangent and talk about it. Oh, you know I will. Appreciative, am I? The third question I like to ask, and this one is one of the more like kind of sensitive ones. So if you're not feeling comfortable answering it, don't answer it. However, do you follow an organized religion, or are you more agnostic minded? Does the existence of the esoteric and paranormal line up with your religious and or agnostic beliefs, or does it kind of exist outside of them? Um, you know, I was raised a Catholic, and um, I was confirmed with the church and all that stuff, and uh, to some extent I still respect um, that religion, but, and you know, to the extent that I'll regularly go to church if my parents invited me or something, mm-hmm. but but for me personally, I'm more... I'm more uh, kind of a live and let live kind of guy where I don't believe a lot of the stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I guess my, my beliefs aren't really influenced or the other way around uh, by the church. It's, it's more just like personal experiences. I feel that's where, where I get most of it from. That makes a lot of sense. And I like that answer. Uh, the fourth question I have today is... Do you have anything you'd like to plug at all? Uh, yeah, sure. 
Um, if you like shitty car content, you should follow my Instagram at Ferndale 4x4. Nice. And that's Ferndale 4x4, for those of you who uh, might think that sounds kind of fun. If you send that to me over text, I will put that in the description. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, the I, I don't think I ran through this with you, but podcast traditions. Before we jump into the story, I like to talk about the encyclopedic collection, which kind of informs what the story is going to be about. But I also like to talk about the potion brewed this evening, which is the beer I will be drinking. And it's on theme. I actually picked one on theme this time, everybody. Woohoo! Uh, tonight, I'm going to be having a Roke Brewing Company Devil Dog French Toast Oatmeal Stout. Sounds good. I'm, I've never had it before. I'm excited for it. Little ASMR moment. Oatmeal stout. You know, I hmm, I bet that has gluten in it too, doesn't it? It's oh, a, yeah. There's a <laughs> yeah. an 100% chance it's got gluten in it. Uh, so this, 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 this evening, I actually, we went out for dinner, and uh, I actually already participated. I had some uh, bee nectar zombie killer. <gasps> oh, I am a big fan of that. That's the oh, mead, yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah, it's mead. Now, that's, I'm that's actually... So Oh, it's really good. I'll, but I'm going to be joining you tonight with some Blake's uh, hard cider, some flannel oh, mouth, just the classic. That's also good. <laughs> I I like it. Um, I think it's a little sweet, but I got to rep the Blakes because I know them. They're uh, they're good people and they make decent cider. Nice. I know they have a berry one that I really liked, where it was like berry focused, and then a mango habanero one that I was afraid of but enjoyed in the end. <laughs> I think my second favorite is probably their caramel apple, because oh, I've not had that one. It's it's you, you think that it would taste just like absolute sugar, and that's kind of a mm-hmm. turn off to me. But it tastes really crisp. It's good. Good. I'm having my first sip of this one right now. I have smelled it, and it's going to be really sweet. <laughs> it's going to be a little <laughs> too sweet for my palate. Oh. Oh, okay. That wasn't like a bad. Oh, <laughs> I was right. It's really sweet, but like then it kind of chills down. It's like got a lot of maple going on for it in the after notes, the bottom notes. Um, you gotta go. Well, I know you like those bottom notes. I I'm a big fan of making those bottom notes sing. <laughs> but yeah, this is a really sweet one that mellows out. I, like the first taste is like, ooh, this might not be my thing, but then it is in my mouth a little bit longer and it's working for me i'm happy it tastes like a french toast thank you uh the encyclopedic collection this evening also is going to be iromabo phantasma which means we're going to be dealing with a kind of ghosty type story as well as the fulked up collection which means this story might be a little bit more in the past than most although not that far back actually now that i'm thinking about it But without further ado, are you ready for the introductory bit? I'm so ready. Cool, cool. Now, full disclosure before I begin. I was originally planning on doing this story for this episode first, and then the previous episode I tackled the Fresno Nightcrawlers. But as you'll see in a bit, this story kind of involves a little bit of wolf violence, uh, against wolves. And my guest happened to be a wolf, and I felt like I didn't want to offend them. But... We have no wolves in the podcast this evening, so I'm happy for that. No, I'm a little anti-wolf. I mean, like, I don't want to sound racist, but 
Mm-hmm. They do claim a large number of uh, my clan's lives on a That's regular fair. basis. So, like, you know, I don't mind. I mean, I mind, but I'll listen. Wait. <laughs> Wait a second. I might uh, also claim a small percentage of rabbit life with my species, just a tad bit. Yeah, so but you're I'd cool. like to formally I mean, like, apologize. You make lemon bars. Look, we're both we have, we're mutually friends with a wolf. That's so, true. Like, we're not like we're not like wolf haters, but we're like we'll listen to a, a story about wolves. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm kind of I I want to have Ellie on a podcast so bad, but yeah, he's a wolf. This is a wolf violence episode. Uh, shouts to Ellie. You don't have to listen if you don't want to hear about wolves sadly getting hurt. But let's get into it. Last season, on Fox of Esoterica, we talked about the Michigan Dogman, then we talked about the Beast of Bray Road, and finally, we talked about general werewolves in Germany. And you know, in general, just werewolves all around. This season on Fox of Esoterica has been decidedly devoid of anything canine, and tonight I'd like to rectify that. This evening, I'd like to visit France with you. Much like Germany, its neighbor to the west too suffered from a stark phobia of werewolves throughout the 16th and 17th centuries. Over 30,000 people would be accused of making a dark pact with the devil in order to turn into their fursona. Tonight, however, I'm going to narrow in on one canine in particular, and in fact, this soon-to-be name-dropped beast isn't even a werewolf at all. According to witnesses and illustrations from the 18th century, this cryptid was described, according to the History Channel's website, as a Large as a calf, or sometimes a horse, its coat was reddish-gray with a long, strong, panther-like tail. Its heads and legs, its head, it only had one, and legs were short-haired and the color of a deer, and it had a black stripe on its back, as well as talons on its feet. Tonight, my lovely guest, I'd like to discuss La Bête de Gévedon, or, in English, The Beast of Gévedon, a monstrous cryptid from the 1700s that unlike most cryptids, has actually been credited with the death and mutilation of a hundred of people or so. Or so people claim. So, so I want to get that right. It's, it's the Beast of Gévedon. Yes. You'll have uh, to excuse fr- my French. That's, oh, I'm going to... I don't speak even a little French, and I'm going to be attempting to this evening while also intoxicated, so... It's going to be messy. Sorry, France. <laughs> it's going to be so many uh, vowels and very little consonants coming out of my mouth this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of this cryptid before? No. Alrighty, I think hundreds? this one's one of the. You said, you said hundreds of of deaths, or hundreds? Yes, Hun- like around a hundred. Wow, that's yeah. Um, I'm, a little, I'm a little surprised I haven't heard anything about this. Oh yeah, I think um, this okay. This is like an interesting cryptid because unlike bada bing bada boom Bigfoot or something like that. This dude showed up, like, for maybe ten or so years. A lot of people died and claimed to have been killed by this thing, and then it hasn't been seen since, even a little bit. It's like a weird historical cryptid, and because it took place in the 18th century, it's hard to pinpoint what could be an explanation for it. But, like, it's not just a wolf, and people saw it all the time. So it's a weird Mm. one. Yeah. But it's one of the more obscure wolfy ones. And that's also why I'm having a French toast oatmeal stout. With a dog on it. You're celebrating um, the legacy. Oh, yeah. The sources this evening, uh, just to rattle through those real quick. 
We're using Wikipedia again because everybody's allowed to and Wikipedia is cool. But we're also using the article, What Was the Beast of Gévaudan, on the History Channel's website, written by Joseph A. Williams, as well as the book, Monsters of the Gévaudan, written by J.M. Smith, the Parisian Illustrated Review, Volume 5, which was written back in the day, they had the printing press back then, yeehaw, uh, as well as the study written by the Norsk Institute for Nature's Forskning called The Fear of Wolves, a review of wolf attacks on humans. And it was not in Norwegian. It was it was in English. These are some good-ass sources, man. Thank you. I, I, I love reading a lot for the podcast. Are you ready for the first encounter, though? Oh, I'm so ready. Bada-bing, bada-boom. The story begins on June 30th, 1764. The hills of the Viveray region of France, in what was once the province of Gévaudan... Wait... Yes, the province has changed because of the French Revolution and stuff. That's what that sentence was. Classic um, French Revolution. Oh, yeah. That's coming up shortly in history. I think, like, in 20 years. We're, like, a handful of years before that. So people are kind of, like, sharpening their guillotines, but they're not quite there yet. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people who are hungry and stressed out. Gotcha. Uh, this region of France, uh, which was once called Gévaudan... It's quite an idyllic spot for a shepherd to watch over their flock. And indeed, one such shepherd, or I suppose the word is shepherdess, named Jean Boulet, would tend to her sheep there. Shepherds in the area knew about the danger of wolves, a common enough sighting in earlier days, though not too worrisome, inasmuch as lone wolves very often steer clear of people. Nevertheless, the 14-year-old Boulet would be left to herself to tend her flock. Unfortunately, on that day in June... Her body would be found, ripped apart as though it was the work of a wolf. No official investigation would be made, and in fact, the only record of this attack would be a burial notice made by a local priest in the nearby town of Uba, or Ubus. Uh, so it isn't too hard to claim that this could have been the work of a straight-up wolf, among other things. In time, though, many would claim that this attack was the first kill made by a strange canine cryptid that would make its presence known in the province. However... This would not be the first report of a creature that would become known as Le Bête du Gévaudan. And in fact, if it weren't for an encounter reported by Jean Vallée, I personally doubt that Boulet's death would be attributed to the beast. And before I go on, I, yes, they both have like very close names. We have Jean Vallée with a V, who survived her attack, and then Jean Boulet with a B, who did not. And then there may also be a Marie-Jean Vallée, who has the same name, but is a third person. This Yay. is really straightforward. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I am not a half of a cider in and totally losing track already. <laughs> I'm going to really get not sober and mess up all three of those very shortly <laughs> here. But while I still have my wits about, that's that disclaimer. There's a lot of people with the same name, but they're different people. Um, let's talk about Jean... Oh, I already messed it up. Let's talk about Jean Vallée's story now. And I wrote Boulet. <laughs> it was the early summer of 1764. A young woman whose name or whose age I actually could not find, named Jean Vallée, was allegedly tending cattle in the Mercoire Forest near the village of Legnon. None of those are correct. Tucked all the way in the northeastern corner of the province of Gévaudan, which I haven't explained yet. I probably will later. This is like southeastern France, kind of like on the cusp of Italy. 
while on her cattle herding duties, Valet was stalked and then attacked by a beast that looked like a wolf, but not entirely. Referred to the description from the opening, it had weird colored fur and a panther tail and perhaps talons instead of feet. This beast was also allegedly larger than a normal wolf, but not larger than a fully grown bull which was convenient because when the attack took place, the bulls on Jean Valet's flock were able to fend the beast off on two different occasions, actually. Uh, the beast would try to attack her more than once. And this prompted Valet to survive and tell the tale later. I was about to ask, like, wait a minute, did this person survive or not? Because who, who, who is this bystander? Yeah. Uh, this is no bystander. This is from the source, and she lived for this one. The other person did not, sadly, though. Okay, okay, yeah, right, right, right. More attacks would commence by a strange-looking wolf before the media slash the crown would take notice. One of the more prolific and often reported stories takes place on August 8th. Near, or I didn't put a year, I just said it takes place on August 8th, probably 1764, near the area known as Mahmejean, a parish of Poulerand, which has an entirely different name today, so it doesn't matter that I got it wrong. A 15-year-old girl, whose name I couldn't find, unfortunately, was viciously attacked and discovered later, suffering from claw and bite marks. She unfortunately also passed away soon after being discovered, claiming to have... Or, but she was discovered suffering wounds and still alive, so she was able to say that she was attacked by a horrible beast. Like with Boulet, though, this also wouldn't draw too much attention yet from like the greater media, and it wouldn't be until a full year later that this attack would posthumously be attributed to Le Bête de Chevedon. So this also could have been a wolf, to be fair, but she did say it was larger than a wolf. So, 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 real quick, real quick, you have three yes. women, correct, so far? Yes. Okay, three women in cattle herding situations. Yes. Okay. And I'll just get to that. a reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems it seems. I, I don't know. I just find it interesting because I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not a wolf. I'm a bunny. I prefer mm-hmm. the simpler things in life, you know, eating uh, a nice cucumber if I can find it or some lettuce. But uh, yes. if, I, if I were thinking in the mind of a predator, which, again, is difficult for me, I would not think, mm, juicy human girl. I would think, uh, wow, there's a lot of cows here. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the people are the ones getting attacked in these situations. I, You know, and now that, that you bring that up in my notes, I don't think I've seen any stories, per- or I haven't, like, personally read any stories about Le Bête du Gévedon where it attacks an animal. I think it only attacks people. Right, but I mean, I think that does kind of bring some credibility to the idea of, like, a cryptid. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, generally speaking, creatures, even in the, the 1700s, would probably not attack humans unprompted. Especially, like, yes. young women. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And according to the studies I read about wolf behavior, especially not wolves, they do not do that. Hmm. But yeah, that is the thing that makes this story odd, where it's like, we have actual reports of people getting attacked a lot in one specific location with the same report, and that's not very wolf-like. But we'll get to the the, uh, the theories later, but you, you're onto something. You're onto something interesting and good. All like right, that. all right. One thing, actually, to add on top of that, the next note I have is that one thing did strike these attacks as odd. It's that pretty much everybody who died got their throats ripped out, which isn't too weird for wolves, for lack of a better word. They kind of, like, will know what a throat is. But the lack of diversity in killing wounds is a bit weird. Like, everybody's getting their throats got. 
So I'm not going to jump to conclusions yet, but someone didn't develop a really cool knife or gun-like thing that just tore out throats. Like, that's that's not a thing that you're aware of? That's not a thing that I'm aware of, but that's not something that automatically didn't happen. Mm. Okay, okay. I'll leave it, I'll leave it for now. <laughs> okay, a little, little pin in it for now. Welcome to the next part of my notes, actually getting into theory moment. Here's the fact zone before I get to any more encounters. So, bada boom. Three attacks, often described as the first ones, committed by a creature known as Le Pet du Givedon, uh, where, besides the first one, none of the survivors, or none of the people survived. I worded that poorly. That wasn't my drunk brain. So it's not the hardest thing, though, to believe that a wolf could have just done all that. Which is why, for a brief moment, we're going to head to the history corner and then a biology corner to describe that, A, lone wolf attacks are weird, especially if they aren't going after the sheep and or cattle, like you mentioned. And B... There weren't the most wolves in Europe this late into the season, you know, in the 1800s, or the 1700s, 18th century. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of aforementioned wolf hunts and werewolf trials that kind of made the actual number of wild wolves go down at this point in history. Um, And then there was also an organized branch of the French military that was specifically designed to hunt wolves, but I'll get to that. However, here we are in France in the 1760s. Well... Right as werewolfery kicks off, France had just finished up using or losing the Seven Years' War. The war lasted from 1756 to 1763, literally a year before the first uh, Bête de Gévaudan encounter. But it is very important to note that the Seven Years' War was pretty much the same war as the French and Indian War, which was also kind of a sort of war between France and Great Britain that took place in North America, Because both of these nations wanted that land, baby. They wanted North America. However, this inciting incident led to France wanting to challenge Britain as a whole, like two years later. Uh, So for two years, it was strictly a North American conflict where Britain allied with, I think, most of but not all of the colonies. Which, you know, would be a funny prank 20 years later when the colonies were like, wait a second, I don't like Britain anymore. Uh, But the French allied with a lot of indigenous people's tribes, uh, namely the Wabanaki Confederacy, a group of four different Algonquin tribes, the Abenaki, the Lenape, the Ojibwe, and the Ottawa. Uh, I think the Ottawa, the Shawnee, and the Wyandot. But there's like um, multiple uh, tribes going on and allying with the French at this point in time. This is just nuts. Like, I don't know why. I feel like as a Michigander, I should know more about this. Like, I've never even heard of this. In history. I think this one had a big Ontario, um, Quebec, New England thing going on. I don't think a lot of this affected Michigan, except for, like, by way of impacting the fur trade and being like, who's going to get Michigan, I know, forever later, Britain or France? Oh, Um, for sure. Actually, no, you are right, though. I think this is when France lost a lot of its uh, footing in... Michigan, but I didn't look that up for the podcast. I'm trying to remember from when I studied it in school. <laughs> no, I just I'm just saying more like you know like there is there is a lot of historical Native American uh, stuff going on in Michigan, and that's we're taught, true. We're taught a decent amount about that, you know, growing up. But just like I don't know, I guess to me, as as weird as it might sound, like there's almost this blank period between like you know whoever founded America, someone founded America. Uh, as white people will at some point. Yeah. 
And then there's a big blank space of genocide and expansion. And then there's the Revolutionary War. Right? Yep. <laughs> and, and I guess just, like, there's not a lot of, like, international detail explained outside of that. Yeah, and that's, like, a whole 200-year period, too. Like, in between right. Columbus and Revolutionary War. Probably more than 200. I'm not going to do the math right now. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I don't know. I just, like, when you said that, I was like, oh, wait, yeah. Shit happened. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. The world? God. Yep. <laughs> That's actually interesting that you bring up because it's not like um, every single indigenous person's tribe was like, we're going to help the French out because the British and the American had the Iroquois on their side, I do believe, for this conflict. In addition to like others that I didn't write down because I definitely remember looking at more than the Iroquois. But um, like even the tribes are split up and who they'd ally with for this particular conflict. Um. Which is interesting, because it's like, yeah. pre-Revolutionary War, that was like a really big war, and also the inciting incident to the Revolutionary War. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this. This is some good, some good history. I, uh, oh, I yeah. definitely failed in history class. I was, I was always more of like a, like a science guy, you know? So as soon as it's like, I always liked history, I thought it was interesting, but I never had a mm-hmm. teacher that was actually like, Let's talk about this. Like, this stuff was freaking cool. Because it can be cool. Uh, you know what? I think I... Okay, so... Burping. Burp noise. This is a very... <laughs> this, this beer is making me gastrointestinally... This is a gastrointestinally <laughs> challenging beer. Yeah. I was going to say, though, I just realized that I had the... Be- My mom is, like, a teacher, and she does, like, history and social studies as her focus, so... I grew up with her doing that. She wasn't ever my teacher, but, like, she was around, and I talked a lot about history with her. So I benefited from that. Yeah, but just, like, having someone that actually gives a gives a hoot about history Indeed. helps a lot, you know? Yeah. To learn history, it's cool. It's not what you should come to this podcast for, because I look at Wikipedia. But, <laughs> and also other articles. I'm better than I'm better than that. I'm better than that. <laughs> Wikipedia works, though. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Anyway, the North American theater was a pretty major one for the French and Indian War. But the war took place in Europe also. And in fact, the Seven Years' War is a direct sequel of the War of Austrian Succession, which was a war that happened before even that war. Every year in Europe at this point is that war. There's 80 different wars going on. Uh, but this war was a war where the aristocratic Habsburg heir from, like, all of Europe and the Bourbon heir, which was very French, wanted to be the next heir to Austria. Alliances were formed, Prussia got lit, and the Treaty of Aix-la-Chapelle was signed in 1748. The Habsburg, Maria Theresa, was recognized as a legitimate heir, and the war was a stalemate, but not with a lot of la- with not a lot of land changing hands, except for Prussia. Uh, but now we have France having a big friendship with Austria and Saxony and Spain a little, and Great Britain being friends with Prussia and Portugal and Hanover slash the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, kind of made France angry because like alliance like. This is kind of like a World War One situation where, like, a billion alliances are forming, and as soon as any one war happens, everybody's involved with it. Um, but this is also important because everybody was very bankrupt. <laughs> oh. Nobody was having money. Um, but I'm getting Everybody's ahead of myself. Everybody's got their guns up, but nobody has the ability to actually back it up. 
Oh, yeah. And I think, like, aristocratic people are like, wow, I have this house and a lot of servants and stuff. But, like, poverty was hard and nobody had any food. So what you're what you're describing to me right now is somebody, some French nobleman invites over one of the people he's not allies with. Right. And mm-hmm. he has words. He throws his glove on the ground. He gets very upset and stern. And the other man does the same and storms out and nothing happens. Because I think a lot more starving. battles happen. <laughs> I think they still made people soldiers. It's just they were very hungry soldiers. Okay, so they weren't particular. Yeah, maybe that's why there aren't a lot of like hugely known wars because they weren't particularly effective soldiers. Yeah, or maybe motivated soldiers even. And I think with the Austrian Succession War, like it happened and nobody won. Like it was just a bunch of stalemates and not a lot of land shifted. Like unlike um, something like Seven Years' War, which I'll talk about in a sec. Or, like, Revolutionary War, where, like, America won, we have the land. Like, I think a lot of wars happen and nobody wins. Everybody's just like, we give up. It's too expensive. Yeah, I'm just, I'm imagining a lot of soldiers, like, going out. Because, I mean, they didn't really even have, like, great weaponary technology at that time. Like, I don't even think muskets were really in big use at the time. I think they might have been for this one, but, like, probably not in everybody's hands. I feel like um, we still got... I mean, I'm just thinking, like, I mean, I I don't want to speak incorrectly here, so I won't, but I'm imagining, like, squabbles more than, like, great wars, if you know what I mean. Like, there was fight, and there was bloodshed, but it wasn't, like, you know, everyone's lining up on the hills and firing rounds and rounds at each other with cannons and such. Yeah, that's a big Seven Years War thing. I think Austrian Succession was... It might have had... It definitely had, like, scenes like that, but it wasn't probably 100% of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna shut my mouth because, uh... No, you're all good. You're I'm interested. That's, that's probably fair, though. So, I'm getting ahead of my... I'm reading my notes verbatim because I kind of <laughs> forgot what I was going for in this paragraph. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but TLDR, a lot of war happened in 18th century Europe, and alliances were just perpetually being formed and broken, and countries were getting a bit more bankrupt than usual. So people were poor and, like, at war and stuff, which is important contextual background for explaining why people in the area would be particularly afraid and paranoid and superstitious. Uh, anyway, though, Seven Years' War, how did it go? Great Britain, Prussia, and friends beat France. There were a couple of treaties. The Treaty of Paris between Great Britain, France, and Spain, which kind of was like a, let's not steal any more land and go back to the status quo, please. Thank you. Prussia, Saxony, Hanover, a little, and Austria went at it a little bit longer than the other members for their war until the Treaty of Hubertusburg. I speak German. I should be able to say this. (laughs) Hubertusburg was signed. And it didn't really change too many borders, but Prussia did nab a bit of land from the other German kingdoms and stuff. FYI, Germany isn't a thing yet. It's still a bunch of different kingdoms that'll come together later. Uh, But this is a particularly horrible thing for Great Britain, France, and Spain, because Spain lost a lot of money and a bunch of ports and territories in the Caribbean and the Philippines. Great Britain taxed America too much. Long-time fans of history will know where this is going. And French taxed France too much. Long-time fans will know... France also taxed its people too much to pay for it, and other long-time fans of history will know where that's going. Oh, okay, I'm with you now. Jeez. Yeah, a couple revolutions. No, as soon as you said France taxed France too much, I was like, 
Well, that sounds strained. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to lose their head over this one. Ha ha. Uh, I'm opening up another beverage. Boom. But those nifty little revolutions would take place like maybe 10 or 20 years after Le Bête du Gévedon was out and about. Everybody's poor and angry right now. Feudal suzerain was going on, but forced serfdom was more rare and than it was like a, in the earlier years. So it's not like the peasant class is lower people and we hate them forever. It's more like the peasant class is too poor to afford property, so the nobles are still hanging out. France also acquisitioned the island of Corsica in 1768, and that felt big. Why did I write that? The island of Corsica <laughs> will not be important for the rest of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I will make it the most important thing. I will ask you sex, uh, 16 questions about <laughs> you will the ask island me of Corsica. Sex questions about sex que- I will ask you sex questions pertaining to the island of Corsica. Who was the first man to breed on it? And who was the first woman to <laughs> The first man to participate? breed, like, the first man to give seed, or the first man to experience pregnancy? You know, that's a great question, actually. We can talk about that in much deeper detail. Uh, I was Corsica thinking of the fans? first man to jack off on the island, actually. But ah, that's Napoleon. <sighs> Damn, I just know that. I love history. Yeah, <laughs> you're all every and nobody fact checked that because I know I'm right and you know I'm right. I I have absolutely nothing to refute that logic, honestly. Thank you. Yeah, you don't no, have I'm a computer you. by you, and you don't have the ability to Google it. It's no. sad, really. No. And I bet, I bet those cowards on the internet wouldn't even put it out there. They're yeah, they'd the be like, yeah, who jacked off on the island of Corsica first? Uh, the Louis, the, the Sun King, <laughs> the, the Ballet King? <laughs> nah, it was Napoleon. <laughs> the famous French people, and I can't come up with any. Joan was of Napoleon? Arc. Okay, when was Napoleon? Okay, hold on. When was Napoleon? Napoleon's alive? after this. Yeah. Napoleon's after this. <laughs> Literally, like, I was like, I don't know if he was alive. <laughs> or if he was active. Uh, he might have been, like, a baby. I don't think I know when he was born. <laughs> Where do we go from here? We're at the Where island of we? Corsica, Forsy. The Where island of Corsica. That's the new title of the episode. This is the oh. island of Corsica. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, so, yes, in history, we get American Revolution, French Revolution, and then the Wars of the First and Second Coalition. That's in the Napoleon ones. I'm going to burp again. Oh, my goodness. Burp noise. These are good Forgive burps. me, God. Thank you. Like, like I was going to leave them in, quality. but people complain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have, like, the, the for Patreon subscribers, you can have my burp episode if you're into that. Which, no, no like, shame or no shade. Boom. But a lot of wars are happening, and a lot of wars are going to happen. That's that section of the history... Well, let's get into wolf hunting history. France also has a history of wolf hunting and werewolf hunting, which sucks. Werewolves are cool, and also innocent people died. But way back in the 9th century, Charlemagne himself created a squad of wolf hunters called the Lupari, who were a branch of the military that just killed all the wolves in France. Their job was to kill any wolf that they saw. And the Lupari would actually be an official office until literally 1787. While the decimation of the wolf population of France was a collaborative effort of a lot of assholeish practices, the Lupari was the first instance of it being a cool aristocratic hobby, which became a trend. Napoleon himself actually also brought back the Lupari like 20 years after they were like 
not made a thing anymore because the French Revolution was like, this is too expensive. We don't like it. Napoleon was like, wait, I want the wolf hunters back. And according to the information that I could find, the earliest population count of the French werewolf population was made around 1800, and that they were only 5,000 wolves in the entirety of France total. I bring this so, up because that's not a lot of wolves. That's a small amount of wolves. I was gonna. I was literally about to ask, like, why? Why were they just calling wolves? Just because it was it was like cool, or was it like, hey, these guys are terrorizing our countryside? Like, I don't, I don't get. Yeah, it. I think it, I think like it started off as everybody being like, wolves are terrorizing the countryside. We hate it. They're eating our sheep. And then, like over time, the really rich people were like, hey, do you want to hunt wolves? That's rad, and we're cool aristocrats. Like it kind of turned from one thing to the other. Yeah, I'm about to get on my really, really cool horse and shoot a wolf. It's going to be dope. None of the peasants would think that's a really weird thing to do and have a revolution later. I, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know. I, I do wonder, like, in the minds of peasants at the time, if it was like, ah, fuck those guys, you know, they're going to kill the wolves. If they were like, yeah, you know, I don't like them, but they are killing the wolves. Yeah, actually, I think that's what it kind of was until people were like, we're spending way too much money on this. Yeah, fair. They're the like, we don't have enough actually... money to feed myself. Oh, yeah. Like, why am, I, why am I paying for them to kill the wolves that aren't affecting me anyway? Yeah, <laughs> they probably started off being like, this is cool. That's why we're going to keep it around for hundreds of years. But then eventually they're like, wait a second, I want food. Mm. And wolves aren't food for the most part. They are not food. Nobody eats them. I guess you could. I haven't tried it. I probably won't. Uh, actually, I would try wolf meat. A wooga. Oh my gosh, woo! That's that's a little saucy. Any wolves on the podcast? Hit up my DMs. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> the we start this podcast. Being... We literally start this podcast by being like, "Oh, I don't know about wolves. You know, they're they're pretty they're pretty sketch, and uh, you know, they might they might attack me, and I'm scared." And then halfway <laughs> through the podcast, Forcey is like, "But actually, if if like you want me to blow you." Hit me up. Yeah. I'm actually trying to go for the scared, like, naive approach to entice them. And then they'd be like, this is my prey. But and it will like, work. I'm your prey. Uh-oh. Yeah, but it will work. You know it that. It will. Like, and if I act like, oh, no, I'm just a silly little wabbit, they'll be like, damn. He's got it. Time to eat him. Ow. <laughs> no, no. Not the boar. <laughs> No, it wasn't Vore. It was normal. Vore's normal at this point in history. But it was just it was just casual rimming. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I promise. Well, that sounds all right. Speaking of things that I am as of now, the office would later be renamed to the Wolf Catchers Royale. I want to be a Wolf Catcher Royale. Uh, and they literally had to change what the office was in charge of in 1971. What? At 1971, when the office was still around... Wolves were extinct in France. Oh. (laughs) They got rid of it because they were like, wait a second. They did it. The wolves are gone. Oh. Yeah, that's the sad part. Sorry to all the wolves listening to this podcast. I owe you big. You personally were the one that killed all the wolves? No, I just can make up for it with blowjobs. Nice, nice. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. Thank you. Indeed, indeed. I am a wolf hole facts. that is open to your needs. I just want everyone to know. I'm. I'm and I'm going to put that in the description. Horses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, I'm the one saying that. I'm right. That's my ammo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm a married body. Uh, you I can't all... say these things on the podcast without putting a disclaimer out there. Indeed. I, <laughs> I'm a married fox. But I oh. think we uh, are okay with adding wolves to the soup. Well, yeah. Which is personal preference. <sighs> wolf soup. Are you ready? Are you ready for a biology moment? Let's talk so about ready. wolf facts. Boom! I gotcha. According to a study made by the International Wolf Center, wolf attacks are very, very, very uncommon by a lot. They are not unheard of, though. They'll only really attack if they have rabies, are provoked or coerced, and fighting in self-defense, or if they experience habituation, wherein wolves get really comfortable living around humans and try fighting them the more that they're closer. Um, Lone wolves are very, very afraid of humans by a lot. And they also don't last long in the wild, even a little bit. Uh, here's an excerpt. Um, I'm going to burp again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> burp noise. One more for the Patreon. That one was even weak. Yeah, for, that's for the $5 subscribers. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, here's an excerpt from A Case History of Wolf-Human Encounters in Alaska and Canada by Mark McNay, wherein he documents 80 cases of wolf-human interactions, aggressive and non-aggressive, that have occurred in the past 60 years, 36 in Alaska, 41 in Canada, and 3 in Minnesota. Of the 80 cases described, none were fatal, and only 25 involved unprovoked aggression by healthy wolves. Of the 25 cases, only 13 involved injury to humans even in the first place. The other 55 cases consisted of interactions where wolves acted in self-defense, there's 14 of them, where known or suspected wolves had rabies, which is 12 of them, or showed interest but no aggression at all, which is 29 of the cases of the interactions in general. The findings of these reports show the importance of keeping wolf attacks in perspective. Currently, there are an estimated 10,000 to 20,000 wolves in Europe, 60,000 in the former Soviet Union area, that's just when the uh, study was made, the Soviet Union is now gone, and 60,000 in North America. Oh no, this was the document made in 2003. I guess they just meant Eastern Europe in general. They were just confused. It's fine. Yeah. I gotta say... They were, and I'm not. Right? (laughs) We're totally not confused. Um, I I gotta say, like, when I think about these, these, like, wolf attacks, we have Mm -hmm. two, like, pit bull-ish dogs. One of them is actually a pit bull mix, and the other one is, like, a uh, hound dog. And, And I guess, I just, like, yeah, everything I've ever heard, and wolves are different, man. Like, they are considerably mm-hmm. larger and different intelligence-wise. But, like, just don't provoke them. And yeah. gen- generally speaking, I'm not going to speak for all situations, you're not going to get a bad reaction out of an animal. But that does lend a lot more to the story we're working on, right? That's I mean, exactly like, why I bring it up. Like, yeah. these are attacks where in provocation wasn't a case. They just went for the humans. And that's weird. It is weird. Yeah. I want to hear more about this creature. Uh, obviously, these aren't the only story. These aren't the only reports on wolf behavior, like of all history. But like of all the stuff I could find, a lot of wolf attacks are only provoked attacks where humans get them first, or if rabies is involved. And a wolf with rabies is not going to be alive for ten years. Can I ask you a, a dumb question, just because engineering brain going off? You're good. Do it up. Do you think they had? Any sort of technology at the time to detect if a wolf was rabid, you think? No, I don't think they would. 
And no, I also yeah. am an... I've got actor brains, so I am probably wrong. I don't think that... Okay. I know I germ mean, I theory is around. I, I mean, I, I really wouldn't think so, honestly. Yeah. But, like, I don't want to speak for... Like, the 1700s is such a weird period. Because, like, the 1850s, 1860s, it's kind of like, oh, humans actually had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Yeah. Like... Not everything, but, like, generally things are kind of catching on. But, like, the 17s, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe yeah. not. Especially the countryside of France. I don't think that people will see, like, a rabid wolf and be like, that's the devil, heavens, get the crucifix. Like, I think they'll look at that and be like, a disease is going on. But they're not going to be able to, like, track it in people. They're just going to be like, that's a wolf with a frothy mouth. I will avoid that wolf. Yeah, they have an idea yeah. about okay. what diseases. They don't know how to trace it with a microscope. All right, real quick question to follow up. How long? Did you say this was going on for, like, a year? Uh, I think, like, I think it's been going... I think the Bet de Jevedon is, like, around for, like, a handful of years. See, now that is interesting in itself because I want to say rabbit animals don't live... And I I am probably wrong. But I want to say that rabbit animals don't really live an extended lifestyle. Indeed, Generally. they do not live that. They don't live as long as the but the Jevedons around. I think I said ten years earlier. That's a big number. I was exaggerating, but yeah, the, yeah. Uh, that's correct though. The but the Jevedon is having an active lifestyle longer than a rabbit animal would survive. Okay. Okay. All being said, though, wolves are capable of hunting and killing people. A French historian, Jean Marc Morisot. Uh, reports that around a thousand wolf attacks from the 16th to the 19th centuries, all throughout France, took place involving like people dying from the wolf attacks, particularly during the chaos and landscape rupture caused by war. Like the, because war has a habit of destroying forests and making trenches, and so the wolves have no habitat and they get closer to humans and then hurt them. Uh, so that's the biggest case where like like habituation takes place and wolves are hurting people. Or in times of general famine, where the crops are down and there's not a lot of animals around for wolves to eat. However, the span wherein the Bête de Gévedon was spotted is a significant jump in numbers of wolf attacks. Though, to be fair, we do have a war going on and a famine going on. So that's a little devil's advocate moment for all y'all. So real quick, though, but like, so, yeah, I'm just trying to get my timeline straight because I'm doing this without writing it down. For sure, for uh, sure. We have a war and a famine, yes? We just got finished and, up with a war, and another one's coming up. Okay, but we're like we're dealing with the after effects of war, and yep. we now have attacks from an unidentified source. Yes. On people. Okay, so that's, that's really interesting. Okay. Indeed. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good impulse. We're, like, in the middle of war. So, like, the sort of things that would make a wolf attack a human kind of took place, but they're not actively taking place. I don't think a war is going on at this point in time. I guess, I guess, I, you know, well, I'm just thinking, like, people are people are freaking starving. You know, some people, mm-hmm. P- PTSD wasn't even a thing. Like, no one knew what that was. Yeah. And I don't want to jump to conclusions, but, like, crazy people have, people have been made crazy by war. Yeah. And, like... I'm just imagining, like, I'm open, as I am on this podcast, I'm very open to the idea of cryptids, but I'm also more intrigued by a absolutely insane, like, man from war that has dug into just, like, some feral part of his brain and developed, like, weapons to make these attacks happen. 
that's a good impulse. I I don't think you've listened to the episode, um, but when I was calculating werewolf stories in Germany, there was a dude that had that going on. Where like I think it was Peter Stubb, and I'm, this was a year ago when I covered the story, so none of the notes are in front of me, and I'm wrong. But there was a guy like in the 1600s, I think, that had that sort of thing going on and was at least convicted of killing people because he was tapping into like quote-unquote, a feral part of his brain and doing crimes. I mean, I can just definitely see, like, I mean, when you get to a point, you start to see a pattern, and you say, like, you know, they're going for the neck. Well, why would the wolves go for the neck? Yeah. You know? Like, they're tall, they're big, they'll knock you over, but will they really... They'll bite your leg and stuff first to get you to the ground, too. Right. Yeah. And again, lone wolf, right? Let's think about this. Lone wolf. They're going to attack you. Let's say they pounce on you, they tackle you, they hit your legs, whatever. I imagine they're going to go center mass. I mean, I'm not a wolf. Yeah. Can't comment. But like... Wolves hit me up with throat, the perspective. <laughs> throat just feels throat just feels uh, a little inanely human to me. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, it's a smart move. And it's like the... Like some people get scratched up and stuff, but once a bite takes place, that's on the throat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's interesting. Indeed. I, I'm glad you find it interesting. This, that's why I love this cryptid. There's a lot of like... For lack of a better word, trace evidence, which is, like, tricky to say about stuff that goes on in the 1700s. But, like, a lot of actual scars and bodies to be less, uh, to be a little bit more gauche are, like, taking place. So, like, when people see Bigfoot, it's like, ah, I saw Bigfoot. But when the bench of Javadon comes, you got a scar from it. And that's interesting to look at. Um, mm-hmm. One last thing before I get into a little intermission to tell you a story about Le de Javadon before talking about history too much. Uh, But this paragraph is one I'm going to read verbatim. People love hunting werewolves just as much as they love hunting wolves. I have a whole episode on the German werewolf hunts that spanned over multiple centuries, so listen to that. It's not an exhaustive look on werewolf hunts in the entirety of Europe, though, and this sort of thing definitely took place in France. The TLDR of last episode, though, was that war was all the time, the bubonic plague was going on, serfdom was going on, everybody's stressed out, and everyone wants somebody to blame. Catholics also don't like the Protestants at all, and Protestants don't like the Catholics at all. So when people's bodies start showing up in an air quotes wolf attack, and people, air quotes, saw those rich Catholics and or Protestant dudes wandering around the night, maybe talking with the devil, a la Salem, pretty much exactly, you have a werewolf hunting fever going on. You know what? That's 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 almost more interesting. Yeah. Because I'm wondering if that like develops this I'm sorry, like I'm already going into like the 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 insane man kind of yeah. kind of thought process. But it's only because it's so good. Right? For sure. I think like the the, the environment is perfect. Or even like like yeah. even if you want to if you want to go beyond that maybe. You think of like the guy that has like been so mutate, mutated by war that something else has happened. For sure, I, I think that that is a very good. That's a good explanation for like tangible things for this uh, wolf attack thing going on. The Betis Shevardon has a little bit more going on with it though than werewolves, and I'll get to that I'm in a so second. But that is a good this. impulse. That's a good impulse, and I like it. No, I'm re- I, you know like I I want to hear. I'm I'm really hoping to hear. And I'm sure you'll get into it, but like a little more uh, cryptid, like mystical lore that kind of came out of this. I'm going to give you just that. I do not want to var- uh, veer too far away from Le Bête du Gévedon. So here is a random story, and then I'll get back into the French werewolf hunt arc. Here we go. 
ten-year-old Jacques Portefeuille and his seven friends were out and about in the Gévaudan region of France in the month of January in 1765. They all survived, don't worry. Uh, the children were from a parish called La Villeray, Villeray and uh, were working as shepherds. Seeing as war just happened, and eligible shepherd men were less than plentiful. Which is why there's a lot of women and children in these stories who are victims, probably. They were doing a lot of more work out and about and alone as a result of the war claiming the lives of, like, the men who are soldiers who were used to be farmers but died in war, so bada boom, we gotta give these jobs to somebody because they have to get done. That's why that's happening. The children decided to team up as a group for safety, which was really smart because La Bête du Gévedan showed up. The beast approached and then circled around the children, who were armed with naught but sticks, and one grabbed the young Joseph Panafieu, the youngest in the group, by the arm before dragging him off to presumably eat him. However, rather than taking the moment and running away, Jacques Potifar rallied his friends and convinced them that they had to save Panafieu. Some of the children are sent off to find help, and a larger group jab at the beast with their sticks and shout at it until it leaves the youngest child alone. This goes on with them yelling at the beast to scare it off before adults arrive, armed with guns and such, and prompting the beast to bolt right then and there, sparing the life of every child in the party. Inspired by the bravery of the ten-year-old Jacques, one of the men told this tale to a clergy member, and via the French grapevine, eventually King Louis XV himself, who, as we'll soon find out, had a very invested interest in La Bête de Gévaudan, rewarded Portefeuille handsomely by offering to fund his education, who he would actually become a lieutenant in the French military, but he would die a few years before the French Revolution went down, so he does not feature in that at all. I think he died in battle. Damn. Yeah. Wow, you know, like, the, the most interesting part of that entire story to me is how long it takes the beast to be quelled. Yeah. Because, like, you know, like a normal wolf... Really anything, you know, if you have a lot of loud sources coming at you, you know, let's say five to ten different things, mm -hmm. I think most things would be intimidated and kind of and think like, oh, I got to get out of here. Yeah, but yeah. like, man, like, not the bet circles you weapon. and it like knows, like it's intimidated enough to not continue eating a child or something, but like it's not so afraid that it goes away forever. Like it'll circle around and wait for them. And that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. And it's also interesting that when the adults show up with guns, that's when the beast knows that it's time to go. Yeah, exactly. That's no, that's what I was thinking. Is like sticks are okay, but guns are not. Yeah. And what are guns but just sticks in this time period? I mean, honestly, they're just like really long wooden. <laughs> Very low accuracy. You know, what, what, well, not even that, but like, <laughs> all right, not to be super meta, but like, what wolves would know what the fuck a gun is? I mean, that's like, true. A musket looks like a big long stick yeah i don't think they'd be you very know? discernible from a large stick in the first place like if i saw like if a child was holding a stick like a gun and i've got my wolf brain going on i would just think it's a gun or nothing at all like the fact that it can yeah. differentiate is crazy right so like this is either like a crazy smart beast or this is this is something more than that yeah I haven't, I, okay, for this whole time, I thought that it was, like, a non-smart, like, to spoil my own conclusions, 
I was thinking that this was more of like an animalistic cryptid and not something with a big brain, but it has a way bigger brain than a wolf does. And you're bringing that up, and I'm thinking about it a little bit. I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking of the clues, and they're you know the clues are all just word of mouth, and that could have been distorted over time, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence. It seems like just kind of yeah. coming together. I think I'll get to this in a little bit, but it is interesting. The printing press is out, and newspapers can happen. And so a lot of, like, like word-of-mouth stuff still happens, but there's not, like, a passing down of oral literature story thing going on. Like, the stories are going straight to the press, and the press is printing them, and we can look at that today. So there's less distortion that way. less hearsay. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. That is actually, that's a lot better. Yeah. In terms That's of uh, historical accuracy. Yeah, well, that, that, we got a newspaper going on. It's very interesting. However, let's get back to the werewolf hunting arc. As I said, France and Germany had a weird, crazy werewolf hunting paranoia. Though France's took place over a, a shorter amount of time than Germany's. I had a whole episode on Germany's. Uh, there was a 100-year stint from the early 1500s to the early 1600s wherein around 30,000 French people were accused of werewolfery, which is, like, a lot of people. Much like any... Yeah, 30,000. Which, that kind of can be a hearsay number a little bit. There's there's no printing press going on for that. I was going to say, like, how many people were even... Like, the the population of Europe exploded, but not in the 1700s. Like, 30,000 is a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. So that, that might be a little bit apocryphal, but it, it like a lot of people were accused of werewolfery at any rate. Yeah, I think that's more the point, right? Yeah. Much like with any witch and or werewolf trial ever, the people accused were immediately tortured in order to get a confession, and it usually <laughs> ended up killing them anyway. So nobody had a particularly good time with the werewolf trials whatsoever. I am led to assume that the themes of, ah, I hate the Protestants and or Catholics and or other two-sided struggles uh, fed into the werewolf paranoia, much like it did in Germany, where people are accusing their, like, supposed enemies. Though I couldn't find a lot about that in particular. A lot of the French instances I could find dealt with actual supposed murderers who were also cannibals and may have been accused out of, like, a sexual or social deviancy angle. Kind of like how a lot of homosexual people were targeted in the German werewolf-like situation, where they're like, that gay man is a werewolf, kill him! And also, uh, women who were, like, owning a business or being autonomous were, like, looked at witches. And so, oftentimes, it kind of was like a werewolf hunt. It was like, ah, that woman is running a business. That's magic. Bad. Killer. That sort of thing happens all the time. Agreed. I mean, women, we all know women can't run businesses without being werewolves. Yeah. Once you get bit, you can kind of own a franchise, but I will not frequent your Starbucks if you are a non-werewolf woman. I do, I do wonder, I do, I do wonder, like, when did we go from, like, werewolves terror, well, hold on, the general populace still very much is in the boat of, like, werewolves terrifying creatures, you know, these, these monsters with claws that transform in the moonlight, and then I guess the, the furry sect Maybe even a subset of the furry sect is just like, werewolves, oh no, you're really hot, oh, you're biting my neck, don't Here's the harder. thing. I don't think werewolves are just a furry sexual thing. I think a lot of people are attracted to werewolves and they're not in the furry fandom. And I think Twilight did it. 
Twilight did do that, yeah. Oh, you know what? That's fair. I'll take that. Yeah. Fun I was... for Freddy Fox intermission. One time, I, I went to school at Oakland University, and it, she wasn't in my graduating class, but she was in the graduating class in the theater program a year or two years ahead of me, and she was Taylor Lautner's cousin. I'm famous, everyone. I'm famous. Holy I went to shit. school with Taylor Lautner's cousin. Shouts to Sarah, because I love you and you're really cool, and I don't think you listen to this podcast because I haven't talked to you since college, but you're cool. <laughs> we take those. We take it. I take what claims to fame I can. Yeah. I mean, like, Mike Posner went to my high school, and that's, oh, that's cool. probably not something... That's not, I don't know if that's, like, on-air worthy, but that was always, like, our claim to fame. I think... Also, Eminem's daughter went to school at the same school I did around the same time. But I never met her. We're all just famous. That's part of being in Detroit, right? Yeah. We know. Detroit, a lot of cool famous people come from Detroit because Detroit's cool as fuck. That's right. Except now you're going to Germany and making me sad. You're going to go fuck all the werewolves. I will, but I will bring them back (laughs) because every time I go to Germany, something legal brings me back to the States. (laughs) <laughs> you're like hey bean i'm so sorry i had to come back because they told me that i could only be over there long enough to find a couple of uh you know really important documents but now that i'm back i actually brought five fuckable werewolves yeah and they will bite you and turn you into one so there you go i mean like would that make me a bun wolf i don't really understand that i'm nothing but positive Every part of that is a win-win. I wouldn't right, even question this it. Is, this is a mad tangent because, like, I, I hate. To, I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna like. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but like, a mm-hmm. fox getting turned into a werewolf is kind of just gonna be like a werewolf, maybe a little smaller, right? You know what? You're correct, but continue. But like, okay, so what is a bunny werewolf? Right? Is it like bunny-sized? but, like, super strong and has a giant knot dick? Or is it werewolf-sized but super fluffy and still has a huge knot dick? Yeah, that the knot dick is irrefutable. That's going to just happen regardless. I think I that's think just hand-in-hand. Hand. You still have bunny ears and you still have a bunny tail. Okay. No, you know what? I'll take everything else, but just having... I need to have the ears and the tail. But actually, there's one yes. more thing that I'm going to need out of that. And I'm gonna need the stupid buck teeth. <gasps> yeah, no, that's, just a requirement. that's a big bunny thing. It'll, yeah, it'll be kind of like Easter Bunny meets the werewolf situation going on, where like it's a big, huge, hulking dude with a really big knot dick, but with the bunny accoutrement that you associate with the bunny. And that's amazing, and that's incredible, and I will bring that to you once I, I get kicked out of Germany. Feedback. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that. No, not you getting <laughs> but like the results there. I was just about to come after you. <laughs> no, no, I want you to be successful in all your endeavors. I appreciate you, but I will also bite you if I turn into a werewolf myself. Thank you so much. I would of course do the same to you. Thank you. Yeah. However, being a werewolf is not fun in the 16th century because oftentimes the French court, in a surprise, oh, um, will kill you they will be like that's a werewolf execution time regardless of what's going on 
Uh, I have a few notable cases. This isn't Bet de Gévaudan related in as much as it's happening a uh, hundred and plus years before the Bet shows up. But here's some werewolf st- uh, trial accusation stories. One notable case pertains to a Jacques Rollet, who, in 1598, was accused of murdering and eating a 15-year-old boy when two hunters discovered wolves feeding on his body before finding Rollet with his clothes tattered and his hands bloodied. He testified that he was under the influence of a salve, which turned him into a werewolf, which was not the smartest thing to confess to of all time, though he might have been tortured in order to get that confession, because a lot of times for witch hunts and trials and stuff, they don't care if you're guilty or not. They're going to torture you until you confess, and that's all they need. Uh, the French court, though, in a surprise plot twist, sentenced him to go to a mental institution instead of giving him the death penalty, which is very rare for things like this. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, in the 1500s, I, I would have thought they got this for throats, but no, they, they were like, this guy is mentally ill. And that's it, they even insightful have, insight. Yeah, how do they even have mental... What, what, okay. We're not going off on this tangent unless you really want to, but, like, what is a Do mental a institution in the 1500s? Probably not the like, greatest thing of all time, honestly. Like, probably, I, like, a I prison. Just, yeah, I basically just, like, okay, you're going to jail, but we're going to work on your mental health. What is mental health in the 1500s? Yeah, like, they're, I think they still believe in the humors a little bit, where it's like, your blood is a little too hot, we have to give you a leech. Ugh. Yeah. So, but they didn't kill him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Fate worse than death. Yeah, I don't. I, you, you know, now that you're talking about it, it was probably not the greatest thing of all time that he got sent there. That's all right. We we, yeah. can, we can go past that, but inter- interesting sure. nonetheless. Yeah, there are more stories to be sure, but uh, they're neat, and most of them would take place a full two hundred years before the Bet de Gévaudan would make his rounds. Uh, so they're not as important to this story because at the point where the Beast of Gévaudan comes up, people don't think it's a dude pretending to be a werewolf. A lot of people think that the Beast of Gévaudan at the time is actually just a weird, wild animal that showed up, and nobody thinks it's a werewolf, which is interesting because that's kind of like a, insightful for 1700s people. The government would soon organize to try and hunt down the Bête de Gévaudan as an animal and not a werewolf, and that's interesting. Le Bête de Gévaudan was maybe sort of supernatural in some people's minds, but it is important to know that a lot of people in France at the time just thought that this was a weird, large, and violent corporeal creature, and not just some magical thing. Except, not all the time. I was drinking, and I totally cut you off. You're going to say something? No, I'm just, I was just thinking about it, and I'm like, hmm. I... I don't know. I'd be really interested to hear, like, obviously there's, like, a hundred-ish records, and maybe not all of them are very good, but it's, like, I'm sure there are a lot of patterns that could be ascertained from, like, he attacked women, he attacked children, or he, it, however we want to Mm -hmm. address uh, the beast, but attacked during the day, uh, you know, was specifically attacked during this way. It's, like, I think you could really narrow down some of the traits of whatever it was and its corporealness is uh, based on some of that. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to hear the little bits that I'm getting because I'm, it, I'm making tiny, tiny little judgments. The victims, though, are... It is important to bring up that the reason that it's going after women and children more so than grown men is because women and children are the people being shepherds of animals at this point in time just because there's not enough men around because they died in war. 
So the victim mm-hmm. thing is a little... That's got a historical reason to it. Even though it is right. a good impulse to think that, like, that's why these wolf is going after these people. They're just the people that are out and about alone in the fields with the animals at this point in time. That's not to say that there weren't still... I mean, I guess... I don't know. You know, it's kind of strange because now... Yeah. Nowadays, it's like there's still a lot of men and women kind of sharing the bond. So I I would be wondering if, it, if it's just literally like, nope, no men here. They're all dead. Yeah. It, you know what? The fact that the beast shows up at a point in history where it's only this sort of thing going on is interesting that you're talking about it in terms of like, if the beast is a person experiencing like a crazy form of PTSD or something... And the fact that they're acting now, that could be a reason why. And that's interesting to think about, actually. That's a good insight. I'm full of those. I appreciate them. You've been a fantastic guest so far. Oh, awesome. A lot of people, though, thought that the Le Bête de Gévedon was demonic in nature, or perhaps a divine punishment for something sinful. That's unclear. Nobody in the notes and the records and the newspaper printings at the time were ever specific on that. They're like, we're French and we're sinning. However, namely, the Duke Étienne-François de Chouzeau and his cousin Gabriel Florent de Chouzeau-Bopeu, none of that's correct, the Count <laughs> Bishop of Gévaudan thought that Lebet was, and I quote, a divine scourge. Because a lot of the reports involved the beast, like, phasing in and out of reality, which nobody has, like, put in their, like, report until this dude puts it in his report, but he's like, a lot of people I've been talking to claim that this dude disappears, reappears, kills, disappears again. Ah! Uh, and you know what? It's a callback to a previous episode, but that kind of feels a little like a Michigan Dogman situation. I don't know if you know this, Bean, but we in Michigan have a Dogman cryptid, and I've seen him. No, I have not heard of this. I'm going to give you the TLDR. I didn't put in my notes, but I love the Michigan Dogman so much. The the Michigan Dogman, imagine Bigfoot, but it's a werewolf. Nobody's ever seen this dude transforming, and we all in Michigan take it for granted to just be a cryptid that's a dogman. Dogman. Um, However, it starts off with Steve Cook, a radio DJ from Traverse City, being like, I'm going to make an April Fool's Day joke and make a song about this dude that I kind of heard hypocrisy through like a grapevine. So he writes a song called The Legend, Everybody tunes into his radio station. It's like, wait a second. I think I've seen the Michigan dog, man. Steve Cook's like, that's not real. That's crazy. But uh, people keep calling into his radio station anyway to report that they've seen a weird dogman creature in the northern Michigan woods. Not the Upper Peninsula, just the Lower Peninsula Northern Woods. Introduced Linda Godfrey, who has been dealing with this sort of thing in Wisconsin because Wisconsin has their own Michigan dogman called the Beast of Babe Road. Linda Godfrey was a journalist who stumbled into that story and reported a lot on it, but she's like, Michigan's got one? I'm going to investigate there. And she's written many books on it, and a lot of people have reported seeing a Michigan cryptid. That's a dog, man. That's my... I didn't breathe a single time during that paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Please I love the breathe. Michigan dogman so much. <laughs> I, you know, there's so much of this stuff out there that, like, I don't know if it's me, just, like, I get to a point where, like, I I like to think I have a somewhat scientific, like, kind of, like, I'm going to think this through kind of brain. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I'm like, is it mass hysteria? Is it real? I don't know. I'm just going to give up because yeah. it might be both. And either way, come, to be honest, it'd be pretty cool if it was real. So I'm just going to let it be. I love the Michigan dog man and I think it's real and one time when I was in the woods at night on a Halloween night in 2017 I heard something growl at me and then rustle the 
branches of a tree, and I didn't look at it because it was nighttime, but I think I saw the Michigan Dog Man. Just saying. And but you know me. turn you over and fuck you. No, he didn't. So, Michigan wow. Dog Man, if you're hearing this podcast, fucking step up. You know what, to yeah. be fair, I, I was like, something growled at me, and I was like, I'm gonna walk away from it slowly, I don't wanna get bitten, so. You know what? Sadly, and I was know, rational. I'm gonna say real quick, hey, Michigan Dog Man, if you're gonna do that, and your intentions are to flip over for Seti and fuck him, please remember, consent is important. It's okay to be scary, it's okay to be, you know, kind of like Rowley and TV, but like, you know, before you like go into it, just kind of be like, hey, is, it, is this cool? And I'm sure Facetti will be like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, actually, you're right. If you ask me and take the time to ask me, that is a very kind and I appreciate that. I just feel like that's a general courtesy, you know, to all crypted out yeah. there. And, and I know it's kind of their MO, right? Like they yeah. got to step up. They got to be the scary people. They got to be the ones dicking people in the woods. But... It is important to kind of make sure for the for the reputation, you know. Yeah, you would. Yeah. I think cryptids listening to this podcast definitely. And I'm sure there are do not be afraid them. to talk. Yeah, like a billion of them. Honestly, we had a ranking episode where we talked about the ones that I would date the most. So they are all yeah. aware that they're dateable. And if you like, there's a lot of people like if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not like. A Tom Cruise looking dude. I have a lot of fur on my body and a big wingspan and some talons. Do know that that is not something to invalidate you. That is something that a lot of people in this world, myself included, and myself especially, appreciate. And don't be afraid to bring that to the forefront. I think that once you bring that to the forefront, you will attract the people who care about you as much as you care about yourself. And that's what's important. That's beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, also, watch... This is a good segue. And everybody keeping notes, this is a good segue. Uh, watch out for hunters, though. They don't like you. And I'm going to talk about them now. So, 1764 was chugging along. The beast, according to the Parisian Review, killed around 26 people by the autumn of 1764. And attacked many more. However, these stories and deaths wouldn't have made such a splash were it not for the handful of newspaper articles who would take reports and publish illustrations of the beast for everyone in France to see and then become afraid of. If you were to Google the Le Bête de Gévaudan right now and see the weird... I think I might actually send it to you for Telegram real quick. Alright, I have a good picture and I'm sending it to you now. Boom. Oh, that's the grossest link I have ever seen. It's so many letters. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm opening it, though. Oh! Okay. Yeah, that's what the newspapers printed and stuff. Which is very oh, not wolf-like, quite... right? There's a lot of variety. Like, if I'm clicking through these, I see one that's almost, like, hyena-ish. Oh, that'll be important later. There's one that's, like, a poodle almost. Like, I'm getting, like, dragony vibes. And looking at the scale, I'm, like, looking at Google Images... Yeah. Uh, the, the the far left fourth down picture, it's this big hairy thing with a big long tongue. It's got talons and there's a head on the ground next to it. And the head, I mean, it, it looks like it wouldn't even fit and it's one of its talons. Like it's this really tiny head. So. Okay. I'm seeing I mean, what this, you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that scale is 
I mean, that would definitely be terrifying. I don't think I've talked about this as much as I should have on the podcast, but when I've been talking about wolves and stuff, the Betis of Adon does not look like a wolf. It is its own thing, and it's very weird looking. And some, it looks like a hyena, and I'll get to that in a sec, but it kind of doesn't look like anything. It looks like something that manifested and is horrifying looking. It's like not horrifying looking as like, oh my god, that's an eldritch nightmare, but like... Oh my god, that doesn't look like anything taxonomically recorded at this point in time. That's not a wolf. The statue, which there's a couple of angles on. That'll be is brought up really, later. Yeah, and I won't get into it too much, but it's really telling. Like it's the beast is is long. Yeah. And it's got a real it's got a neck on it. I mean, you're right. I would not classify that at all as a wolf. Yeah. And that's why people were like, this is not a wolf attacking us. It's going for throats, it's afraid of guns, and it also looks like a weird fucking thing. That changes a lot. Wow, that's, that, yeah. uh, that visualization helps a lot. I'm glad to share it with you. I'm sorry I didn't do that earlier. I probably should have. No, that's but good. Yeah. You get a live reaction. Thank you. We're talking about the printing press, though, baby. They're printing these illustrations. They're getting the stories out, and that's why this dude is making a bigger splash the more the story goes on. Uh, specifically, one of the first um, companies of the printing press nature to publish the stories like this is the Courier de Avignon, which would publish in September of 1764 a description of the beast as the size of a young bull. It likes to attack women and children, and it drinks their blood, cuts off their heads, and carries them off. Which, like, I haven't talked about in any stories. Like, that hasn't happened. I think the newspaper was just like, this will be interesting to print. Yeehaw! Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there have been a couple of embellishments like that. Yeah. And it might have happened because, like, there's like, hundreds of reportings and stuff in general of this dude. So maybe one of them involved that, but none that I could find. It's just the, the courier de Avignon that's like, yeah, it's doing this shit. Later that month in September of 1764, however, a German media outlet who didn't put their own name in their own story, so who's to say where I'm finding this story from, would also issue a report on Le Bête du Gévedon. From my limited German abilities, yeah, I know, I read to the German and I discerned the article myself because I speak German. Deutsch einfach. I know that they thought it was a hyena, but they also drew the picture so that the beast also looks like a kangaroo. I don't know how they got that conclusion. I have those pictures here. Oh, let me share them because it's a link that I put in my notes. Oh, it's the one that I just shared you. I'm... Oh, no, wait, this is a different one. Okay, boom. Link is sent to your way. The picture in Telegram is not the picture that I want to look at. It's the one that the link shows oh originally. Gosh. Yeah. I don't even know. I, I don't know about kangaroo. Oh, wait. You got to scroll down to, like, the 1764. Yeah, that is... <laughs> that's so that's funny. That's a kangaroo. I'm putting this link in the it's show notes so those who are like, what are you talking about? It's wild because the freaking first picture... <laughs> is more like, oh, yeah, that's that crazy creature that we've been talking about. And the second picture kind of shows, like, that weird poodle picture with the head I was talking about. And then the third mm-hmm. picture is totally different. Yeah, that's it, a It really just looks... It really just looks like a rabid kangaroo going at some guy. Yeah. I'll get to that in the conclusions, because there's something to inform why that might be the case. But, yeah, a lot of... Like, this is not the most wolfy wolf of all time, and a lot of publications don't know what to do with this dude. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. In fact, the case of the Beast of Gévaudan is particularly potent in the media because 
This is one of the most exciting things that has happened since the Seven Years' War ended, and as a result of that, all of the printing presses and all the land and such got a little bit more excited than they should have about the story because it was interesting and selling their newspapers. I just want to throw one picture your way. Yeah, do it up. I'm excited for it. So, uh, this is a picture, and Uh, I I just, like, look, I don't want to be rude. It says, the Wolf of Chazé displays at Versailles, printed in Paris, uh, 1765. And I gotta just real, real quick throw out there, like, there were not furry artists, at least in mainstream printing presses. They were not. Because... This is not what a wolf looks like. Like, unless <laughs> yeah. evolution... Unless evolution took a crazy path over the past, like, 250 years, this thing has... It looks like it was drawn by a uh, elementary school kid, like a fifth, yeah. a fifth grader that was pretty good at, at art. Not for not. I'm looking at the paws, and the paws look on point. That's the I only say part that, the, that looks on point. The paws are fl- the paws are flat, right? They're kind of that like that's true. yes, They're you not drew them right. Well, like well, like you drew them right, but they're like straight to the ground, and you can see all of the claws. Yeah, that's a you know bad perspective moment. Yeah, and, and like and like the worst part is all the humans. They're not bad. Like yeah, those yeah. are people, and those dresses are flowing, and it's but it's like this wolf is like, uh. That's like an anteater with, like, a long-ass body and big claws. Yeah, I think they... You know what? That'd be kind of a funny element to the story. If, like, everybody was hearing about this and they're like, do you have a reference? I have never seen the creature you're describing in my life. And the printing press company is like, no, we don't have a reference. Just draw it, you poor artist. And all these artists are like, I'll just... I'll draw a wolf that isn't a wolf. And then they all just end up drawing the weirdest thing because they aren't giving it enough information in the first place. And I guess that's kind of like, yeah, and I don't want to sidetrack too bad, but I guess that's just like an interesting part of history at the time is like now we take it for granted. We take a picture with our phones or whatever. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of what it looks like. Even it's a blurry picture. They got to draw from word of mouth. (laughs) Right. It's like, ah, it's kind of long and it's got claws. And I, I, does it have like a wolf nose? I don't know. Just like draw something weird. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's like, a, that, yeah, even, I didn't consider that before, but you're entirely correct. <laughs> look look at the teeth on it. It's got, like, a couple of sharp teeth, and then it looks like an herbivore. <laughs> yeah, it's got the flat molars. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plant eater, and it's part-time then, job. Just His, like, muzzle is a straight line from the tip to the top of his head with, like, the slightest curve of all time. Okay, okay. I'm done, but... No, that's, that's an interesting hilarious. insight. That might... Like, people describe it, and then that might be why we're looking at these illustrations, and the illustrations are weird. The artists might have just been given a very hard time. I think That's so. A, yeah, that makes sense. But, like, wait a minute. Oh, again, off topic. But this is a picture. This is an event. Yeah. Like, this looks like a real thing. It. You're so right. So, I want to say... I, I almost want to say... I almost want to say, this is a taxidermied wolf that someone is drawing a picture of. Maybe the artist wasn't invited. They just were like, somebody was in presence of the wolf. And they're like, yeah, no, this is what it looked like, dude. Trust me. I kind of hope I kind of hope that's the case. And it wasn't a horribly botched taxidermy that someone is drawing <laughs> live. No, it, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. that's true. Like, Taxidermy probably was not at the peak of its artistry at that point in time. Okay, sorry. You're all good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, the next note I had was that, needless to say, were it not for the media, there probably wouldn't have been a crazy, thorough, and very sober response from the crown. But... There was a very crazy and very sober response from the crown, and they took the Bet de Gévaudan matter very seriously. King Louis XV would put a 6,000 livres, the currency at the time, bounty on the beast. In addition to the local estate of Languedoc's 2,000 livres bounty, that estate being a local authority. And they would reward people for particular acts of bravery in the face of it. Like the aforementioned Goonies moment, where the children were fighting it off. That's why the king was like, love it, fight that beast, you're great. However, he would also send out royal hunters slash dragoons, aka the mounted cavalry of France, to the Gévaudan region to nip this situation in the bud. One of the most prolific characters in this arc was a Captain Duhamel and his 56 royal dragoons, and many more hunters. When Duhamel's effort may or may not, who knows, we'll see... Efforts have worked out. The main strategy involved getting a large group of soldiers and utilizing bloodhounds to track the scent of the beast, and often leaving behind poison to bait and kill the beast. But this mundane strategy didn't pan out as well as others, and Dumahel had to think outside the box. It was thought that the Beast of Jevedon was specifically going after women and children, but not because of the reasons I was talking about earlier. They had to be shepherds because war and poverty killed all the men. But, because people thought that it was a weird sexism thing, and a lot of the publications of the day wrote about the beast preferring to prey on, quote-unquote, the weaker sex, and etc. <laughs> Running with this idea, though, Duhamel decided to dress his dragoons up in dresses and skirts in an attempt to bait the beast out. And this did not work even a little. Oh... <laughs> uh. Absolutely a real thing that happened. Alright, so hold on real quick. Yeah. When I think Dragoon, I instantly think Beyblade. That's I <laughs> shit, I haven't thought about Beyblade in a while. <laughs> so as soon as I think about Beyblade, I'm like, alright, cool, we got this freaking cool monster. Except it's not a monster, it's a bunch of people, you know, they're out hunting. And then I'm making that association with people in dresses and I don't know. I just love that. That's, that's, yeah. that's a wonderful mental image. And I, I do I, wonder... Okay, hold on. Yeah. You are you are the elite. You are a wolf hunter extraordinaire. You are one of the dragoons. You've been chosen, right? Mm-hmm. Now you come in one day, and you're getting your boots on, and you're strapping up your, your coat, and you're kind of getting yourself ready, and your commanding officer comes in, and you snap to attention, and you look mm-hmm. at him, and he goes... In, in French, of course. Men, we are trying a new strategy today. You're, okay, understood. Uh, what do we need to do? Uh, you know, track something different, use some different poison. And he hands you the frilliest dress that he could find. Yeah. Like, how is that not the greatest fucking shit? And like, and then you go out and you are hunting. You're like acting like you always do. You're like kind of creeping around and being cautious and checking around corners. And you are wearing the most flamboyant clothing because those dresses, you know, that they were not like peasant clothing. They were like really fucking dresses. For sure. And that's great. I just think it's, I just think that's, that's, 
I just think that's great. It's, it, you know what? I like this anecdote because, like, because it, it's a real thing that happened for real. And just, like, yeah. like it didn't work even a little bit. And nobody <laughs> thought that it wouldn't. Everyone was like, yeah, okay, we'll dress up and do this. It'll get the beast. And, and don't you think they did it for a while? Because like, Yeah, things, more than once. Although I do think after that, he employed that strategy, Duhamel would... Like the the like crown would step in and be like, hey, so about your position here hunting the wolf, we don't think it's working out. We're gonna get you out of here. Absolutely, absolutely. But my point is, we do things real fast today, right? Like we'll yeah. track things. Like if you don't do something well for, you know, even a couple of days, maybe a week, like you're out of there. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of easy ways to record data and all that. But like, you know. How many days or weeks would they have tried this strategy before word finally kind of caught on to go, oh, that didn't do anything either? (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, Yeah, that's quality. That wasn't the only strategy, though, that people tried that was weird as fuck. We we have some other Grand Royale wolf hunters, specifically Joas de Papou. Who got a hold of a bunch of women-shaped mannequins, after again running with the theory that Lebet was after women, and then he poisoned the mannequins and then left them out for the beast to chew at and die. So he just like got a bunch of mannequins, coated them in poison, and then put a nice dress on them and threw them in the woods, and nothing happened. No, no animal bit it. I'm shocked. Yeah. I, I somehow you know. There's something missing about the whole mannequin thing. Maybe it's like the flesh, blood, living thing. No, it can't be. It. Like anything to eat. <laughs> right, right. No, it can't be it. You also have Franjois Antoine, the king's lieutenant of wolfhounds, who replaced the disgraced Duhamel after his little um, let's put everybody address his stint, and who also would be the man that allegedly shot and killed the beast, as witnessed by his retinue of men. Little edit. One of Antoine's men's name was Reinhardt, actually. And this was the dude that finished the Beast in air quotes. Because obviously, this would go down and the Beast would continue to kill people. So they didn't actually get him. But other add-on. This dude also shot and killed the wolf's mate and cubs. So I hate him. Once you shoot a wolf puppy, you're the worst dude. I hate you. Wow. <laughs> I think, I think I just, the That was a big vibe check. I'm so sorry. I'm not a fan. Not a fan of these yeah. guys. They're not great. Uh, unless they're dressing up. I think that's the fun part. That's, that dude didn't kill fun. a wolf puppy. That's good. Uh, however, this took place in September 1765. We have a dude claiming to have shot and killed Le Bête de Gévedon. It is important to note that this will not be the last time that Le Bête de Gévedon is seen. It will continue to attack and kill people. Although the kill was indeed of an unusually large wolf, it was kind of just a normal wolf that this guy killed. And the people that described the beast of Jevedan, as you see in a picture, described a very non-wolf-like thing. This dude actually shot and killed like a straight-up wolf. Uh, another man named Jean the Mask Chastel, he had a nickname, <laughs> claimed to kill the beast, but he also just shot an unusually large wolf. The running theory was that the beast wasn't just one creature, but indeed a handful of creatures, probably genetically related to normal wolves, so that the French military kind of just went on and killed normal wolves as is normal. 
And it is claimed that around 600 wolves would be killed while the beast was making its rounds. And its increased presence of people in the wolves' territory made the normal wolves just attack more people out of defense because they were getting murked. So they actually made uh, things worse. I literally just can't get past the fact that someone named themselves The Mask. Yeah, <laughs> Jean The Mask Chastel. Imagine having That's... a nickname like that in the 1700s. You fucking... Calm down, oh, dude. that guy? You don't want to mess with him. He's The Mask. What, what, what did you say? I just, I just know I was just like talking. No, no, no. You don't understand. He's... The mask. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude. Imagine if, like, George know. Washington ran around and I'm like, hey there, my name's George the Teeth Washington. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, the, the mask is, like, is, like, that gritty, like, fucking teenager kind of attitude. Yeah. <laughs> the mask has just a little bit of that, um, that, like, gritty, like, oh, I'm cool. It's like if uh, George Washington, to use the same analogy, was, like, I'm George Dark Raven Washington. Yeah. Whoa. No, you're right. That's it's too edgy. Cause this Yeah. Even for 1700s, that's too edgy. Jean Chastel, calm down. <laughs> Maybe he just couldn't get over how like plain his name was. Yeah. It is important with all of these Wolf Hunter arcs though to notice one thing. King Louis would indeed make good on his promises to pay everybody for killing or even defending against the beast, even if the wolf that was killed wasn't the right wolf. So here's what's happening. The royal wolf hunters are getting together. They're shooting a really big wolf. King Louis's like, you probably did it. Here's a fuck ton of money. And giving a fuck ton of money away randomly and arbitrarily like that, mere years before the French Revolution... Probably isn't smart. Like, people are like, wait, you have that much money? Can I have food, please? Oh, you're just going to pay the guy that shot a wolf? Interesting. I'll remember that later. Yeah. Clementine will remember that. Straight up, Le Bête de Gévedon is, like, one of the most... It's not, like, the last thing that the French crown did to, like, spend a lot of arbitrary money. But they spent far too much money on this case. And it is probably one of the things that made the peasants be like, wait a second, they're spending money in the wrong places. We need to fuck them up. So, like, it, the bit de Chavadon didn't start the French Revolution, but it's definitely one of the little ingredients in the soup. I'm sure there were a lot of ingredients in that soup. Oh, yeah. It was a very potently florist soup. Are you ready for another Beast of Gévaudan intermission, though, even though we're talking about them, and I don't know why I'm calling this an intermission. It's very much congruous. Oh, yes. Alrighty. Remember when I was talking about that, like, Marie Jean Vallée, who had a name that was similar to Jean Vallée, who had a name that was similar to Jean Belay? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's we're talking about a while, now. but I remember. She's back. And she's not to be confused with the first two, because this is the third and unique person. On August 11th, 1765, this person, Marie-Jean Vallée, just straight up fought the beast off with a spear. According to legend, Marie-Jean, mindful of the beast's presence, carried around a homemade spear, which was very useful when the beast approached from right behind her, just as she crossed the river. Marie-Jean stabbed the monster, wounding it severely but not killing it, inasmuch as the beast would limp away. 
The story isn't the craziest one in the world, but I bring it up because Marie-Jean Vallée would get a statue made in 1995 depicting her straight-up stabbing the beast of Gévaudan like a boss. Shouts to the artist Philippe Capelon for making that statue. That's the one you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, that's that's the one we were just talking about earlier. And I will say, if you look up, uh, it is, it's a pretty dope sculpture. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. Like, it really brings the myth, it brings the myth to life, I think. She's a badass and I love her. She just was, she was like, doing the shepherd thing. She's like, I'll fuck up the beast, I don't give a fuck. And she did, yeah, she like won, she lived to tell the tale. Yeah. I mean, she did a lot better than the guys that just shot a bunch of big wolves. Yeah. And even if she did just fight a big wolf, it was still pretty impressive. That's a, She's cool, and I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Y- you know who's making a comeback in this story, though? Jean Damasque Chastel. He's not done yet. Oh, my God. He may or may not have killed another beast with a weird description <laughs> from earlier, but he also definitely killed a beast with human remains in its stomach, and they cut open the stomach and was like, yep, that's a human remain in there. Thank you, Jean Damasque Chastel. You did it. Um, and then he and, like he like turns and blows his cape and disappears. Indeed, he like actually gets a grappling hook like Batman. And he's like, "I am vengeance," and disappears. That's hundred percent what happened. Indeed, he That's did gotta this be in, in the printing press. <laughs> they they really did. They they started Batman off with Jean the Mask Chastel. I do want to bring yeah. up one thing. His second hunt was completed in the June of seventeen sixty seven, which is actually two years after the first. Uh, Beast of Javadon encounter, and not the sort of lifespan a rabies wolf would have. So there you go. I'm, I'm not, you know... Alright, I don't want to, like... Is there is there, like, a consistent image that where you painted, like, glowing eyes or, like, big talons? or Because, like... People I definitely like describe it being that. wolf-like in body, but with a panthery tail and claws that are like talony as opposed to a wolf's. Jumping back into the podcast, we had a little bit of a moment where we had to use the restroom, and I have been trying to find my page on the Google Doc again because I forgot where it was. But it is dawning on me two different things. One, this episode's a little bit longer than I said it'd be. I'm very sorry. <laughs> we're, we're getting so into the long. juicy nidbits of it. <laughs> But, that being said, number two, this is the section of my notes titled The End of the Beast Conclusions, if you're ready. I'm so ready. I'm I'm interested. The aforementioned Jean the Masque Chastel may not have killed the beast with the weird description from earlier, but he did definitely kill something with human remains in his stomach, as I said earlier before we went to the restroom. And his hunt was completed in the June of 1767, a full year after Antoine's kill. Perhaps Chastel may or may not have put the final nail in the beast's coffin, but it is definitely true that after this event, there were significantly less reports of La Bête du Gévaudan. Not for not, however, none of the alleged taxidermied beasts that the dude brought to the court and be like, look, I shot it, taxidermy it. None of these dudes have survived to this day, at least as far as I could find. They may be in a private collection, but none of them have surfaced to the public. So... Obviously, this isn't the last we see the Bête de Gévaudan. There's like a couple of reports where people are like, ah, I saw it, ah, it attacked me, ah, got away after it. But after Chastel claims to have killed it, it does wane down a considerable amount, at least to like normal wolf hunting levels. So, what happened for real? 
This werewolf case is starkly different from modern dogman sightings because people died for real. And older werewolf hunting stories because nobody accused humans and then tortured them. It is important to note, for the entirety of Libet de Gévedon's career, not a single person was blamed for being a werewolf. Everybody involved thought it was like some sort of beast that needed to be defeated. To the people of 18th century France, this was a cryptid. A flesh and blood thing that could kill, and they probably did, and that they did very poorly in dealing with it. It may, indeed, be one of the first cryptids to use that word, and history. When I say cryptids, I mean not a mythological being, but something that people are like, wait a second, this exists outside of science, and I'm confused. But that's probably not like the first cryptid of all time, so it's one of the earliest ones. It's the earliest with a paper record, for sure. Indeed. A lot of the reason as to why people gave the beast such a weird description could be because, and this is speculation zone, but that it wasn't a wolf at all. I'll get to that. Oh, I'm not getting to that now? Okay, I wish I was getting to that now. I'm a liar in my notes and a bad man. But a couple of people probably just, like, blamed the emblems of heraldry. You know how, like, in Europe back in the day, people would just, like, draw wolves and lions and stuff on their flags and crests, and they don't really look like wolves, they just kind of look like a weird creature? Mm-hmm. People could probably just have that in their head, see a wild animal in the daytime or at night striking them and being like, wait a second, it looked like that. And that's why it looks weird, because people are looking at heraldry and doing poorly. I just don't think, you know, this might sound silly, but like, I don't feel like a lot of people saw wolves. Yeah, that's the other point I was making. Like, a lot of peasants don't see wolves on a daily basis, and they've never seen a picture of wolf because photography wasn't invented. So in their head... Wolves look like the way they do on a knight's shield or like a king's right. flag, and that's weird looking. Well, like, well, like even now, like if you go into the center of Michigan, right, you're like in the middle of nowhere, which I guess the center of Michigan isn't middle of nowhere; it's kind of like Lansing. But anyway, you go yeah. out somewhere in Michigan where it's country, and probably like uh, I want to say like central, northern, lower peninsula. There, there's probably a decent concentration of wolves because we don't have a lot of them left. Yeah. But you, you uh, no, wait, I actually them. did look up a literal map of this for a previous episode. Okay. There's a handful in the Northern Peninsula, or the Upper Peninsula, that's what it's called. But, like, in the Upper Peninsula, it's, like, Mackinac City to maybe, like, Petoskey, and that's as high as it goes. They're not in the Lower Peninsula even. Like, they are, but they're exceedingly rare. And it's because people are reintroducing them. Yeah, but, like, overall, like, I can personally say I, I, you know, I live in the city. Mm -hmm. So, but I've never personally seen, like, a wolf in the wild. I know what they look like because the internet. Right? But, like, even, like, back then, I, I imagine, yeah, they were probably more common, but not really when they killed so many of them. Yeah. At this point in history, especially. So, like, that's 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 kind of why I keep jogging back to the idea of, like, it could have been a person just by, like, the length of time and the fact that, like, if you really made the, the fucking best murder fursuit, <laughs> no one would know. Yeah. The, the, It'd have the to be OG a quad, though, and that'd be tricky, no. that'd be tricky to pull off a murder in. Like, I feel like you'd have to get 
some workout regimens going to pull that off. All right, look, I'm about to send you just a quick. Let me see if I can send you a screenshot. I'm for it. Like, this is like the Wikipedia picture of the beast. Right. Yeah, that's some so fan not art. That I love one. it. No, not the fan art. It's <laughs> also funny. There he is. One, oh wait, yeah, you're right. Li- literally, literally, I can, I almost want to like find a way to draw on this because I can just imagine like where the human head would be, and you could like look through the mouth. Yeah. No, I can see it now. I definitely, just, like, it is the proportions that would fit a hu- like. People in a don like two people wearing a donkey costume. That's the kind of thing that's it, going on. Or like one guy in a potentially shorter quadruped suit. Like I'm just saying, it's not likely, maybe, but it could have been a thing. He could have just been like yeah. a fucking dude. <laughs> just not out like, of the question. And it's like <laughs> not like I think like once they started shooting actual wolves with the government, like. The people behind the quadrupeds who could be like, wait a second, let's not get shot by the government. That'd suck. Yeah. No, well, then you just put it over. I mean, like, shit, you're just like, oh, well, I'm a hunter and this is like a pelt if you ever had to get questioned. Yeah. So, I don't know. I like, I definitely. No, think I like that. that. Like, I like that. Don't... That's a good logical explanation for it. Yeah. I mean, like, probably not that logical of a, of a creature, but still. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's a good explanation for people that are like, magic's not real, bada bing, bada boom. It could be dudes in costumes, like quad, like those kind of suits exist. Everybody, there are quadrupedal fursuits. But let's be like, let's be fucking, let's be fucking real. Like, what is more disturbing? Like a guy that fucking hollowed out an animal and like created a murder fursuit, or just like a mystical beast that was just slaying humans? Yeah, the first one. (laughs) That's scary. The first one is, like, an actual, like, this is going to keep me up at night. Like, I don't feel safe going to bed in my house right now. The second one is, like, spooky, but kind of, like, one of those, all right, like, I don't know. I, for Seti Fox, can seduce it, and that's important. Right. So, therefore, the second one is less scary. Yeah. (laughs) I like that theory, though. No, I like that. (laughs) In my notes, I'm saying a paragraph, and I don't know what the point is, so we're going to say the words until I reach my conclusion. This ties into the fact that everyone is stressed and paranoid because poverty and war, but also the fact that people are dying for real, regardless of what's going on. The Benjamin has a body count, and that's irrefutable. And it's kind of getting into this weird headspace where people believe that this weird and new creature, for sure, totally could exist and kill people. And maybe that's what colored people's expectations when they're seeing just a normal wolf. Like someone seeing an owl, for example, and being like, oh shit, the Mothman. But that being said, the printing press being around and being able to print pictures, uh, coupled with the actual King of France getting really involved with this matter, probably didn't help the public perception. People seeing these things get involved and are like, shit, this is an actual real thing I have to worry about, not just a weird supernatural fairy story. Uh, these two thought processes feed into one thing. Maybe it was just wolves, and they got fucked up by war and famine. But as I mentioned before, that would be so weird behavior-wise, even considering that, that it's still kind of, like, not something that I personally can vie into. And one of the biggest things that historians think that the beast is attributed to was that it was a hyena that escaped from a, like a menagerie or a zoo or something. 
which kind of makes sense because no one in 18th century France would have ever seen a hyena before and known what they looked like. And hyenas do indeed attack people. Uh, so imagine that, like, maybe a startled hyena in a strange place that got brought there against its will sees people hanging around and like, fuck, I'm going to fuck that dude up. Um, other people also use this theory to describe adolescent male lions. The kind of lion that doesn't have a full mane just yet, but they're sort of, like, kind of just starting to have one, so it kind of looks weird, and people don't know what that looks like. And ergo, we have Le Bête de Gévedon. So these theories hold the most water for me, personally. I want to see what you think. I definitely think that if you look up, literally just look up hyena, and mm-hmm. the pictures of its mouth look very much more like the mouth in the drawings. Yeah. Like, dude, I hate to tell, I hate to say this, because, like, my wife, she's a hyena deer, but, like... Mm-hmm. Hyena fucking scary, man. Like they, they, <laughs> their mouths are pretty terrifying. Um, yeah, they, I'm looking at one yawning. It's got a good amount of teeth. Yeah, and they, and they almost, if you like, look at them when their ears are back, they almost look like alien creatures. Yeah, you know. I think so the one not, thing that kills that for me is that you think people would mention the spots, but like. If you're getting attacked yeah. by a wild animal, you're not going to be like, wow, that wild animal had spots. You're going to be like, wow, that wild animal had teeth, and I want to avoid it. We also, we also, uh, and I can't speak for rabid attacking hyenas, but hyenas are always described as fairly vocal. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're, like, laughing or whatever. I'm just saying, like, in general, they're, they're generally noisy creatures from what I've heard. Yeah, you'd think somebody and- would bring that up. Yeah, there's a lot of missing keys there. I could see yeah. there could be something where maybe someone saw a hyena and they were like, oh, that's that's probably what it was like. But I think the adolescent lion one holds more water for me than the hyena one. Just kind of like people describe it as having really big paws, a panther-like tail, and it looks weird. And it doesn't have spots and stuff. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this right now. Men, male lions, this is based off of Google search results. Yeah. Male lions last like eight to ten years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's in captivity or not. And hyenas, they're saying they're like 10 to 12. So like, honestly, both of those times box. Yeah. But... But then again, it's like in France, and it's not as native now habitat, so it's probably not going to like survive as long as a lion would normally it's going to be very confused and probably do poorly in terms of hunting well yeah and this creature is also described at least based on how we've discussed it as this like as this monster right yeah and this is a time following war where where natural habitats have been destroyed and uh general populations have been ravaged and yet this thing is thriving yeah like i just find that to be strange and for sure Hyenas and lions are both very strong, but you'd think at some point, like if we go back to the example where like we had the the kids gathering around, Mm -hmm. where they had like the sticks and they had the adults come, I don't care how strong you are, if you're a hyena or a lion, if you are being surrounded by like five plus creatures that are threatening towards you, you're not going to stick around. That's entirely true. That's entirely true. So, I mean, I don't know. I've just watched watched and listened to far too many, like, creepy things where people are just like, uh, you know, this guy, he was a sicko in the head, and he 
dressed up weird and kill people. It's like, at this point, I'm just like, this sounds like a sicko in the head that dressed up and killed people. Yeah, you're and, thinking it's more that than the animal animal. That's, that's interesting, because a lot of people... Like, the, a lot of, like, skeptic-type people who look at the story are like, it's definitely an animal, and that's the amount of effort I'm going to put into it. But not nearly enough people attribute it to, like, an actual person doing this sort of thing, and it's interesting that you bring that up, because very few articles do bring up that angle to it. I mean, I you know, I'm, I feel like it's too long of a time, and, mm. and, and maybe, you know, I haven't looked at all the, all the history, so I can't speak And it has it, to like, survive, like, two winters in that time period, and, like... An African animal being brought to a European winter probably isn't going to do very well at all. Right. And it's got to be methodical. I mean, like, yeah. these are not... These aren't killings where it's just like, and and it happened again out of nowhere. It's like, you know, at least two or three of the examples we've heard of are people getting uh, mauled when they're vulnerable. And, yeah. Yeah, animals are pretty good at that. But, like, I don't know, man. The other suspicious. thing the other thing that I bring up actually to hurt the hyena argument a little bit is that the people hunting these creatures are like eventually the people that end up hunting the creatures are nobles and aristocrats and while peasants don't have the ability to see an animal in a zoo or a menagerie like the noble class definitely has especially being like in France across like a mere sea from Africa like Nobles have seen a hyena and a lion, and they aren't describing the Beast of Javadon as a hyena or a lion, and that's for sure. Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of missing information in terms yeah. of... Oh, it's this. One other theory that comes to light is that this creature could have been a thylacine, which is a... A what-a-what? A thylacine, I gotcha. In Australia, there is a canine creature... That is, like, an actual real thing that happened, but it went extinct because dingoes and humans were hunting them. But it's, like, a striped little wolf dude. But it went extinct in the 1900s, but it definitely was alive for this time period. That is a wild fucking creature. I love the Thylon sign so much, and I'm so sorry that it's extinct. I love that is the closest. That is the closest thing to the pictures. Yeah, that's why I bring it up. That that gets close, and it was around at the time. I mean, like it's got the weird mouth. Yeah, it's the mouth where it like looks like someone drew it wrong, but it's actually right. Yeah. I guess I'm just I'm just not convinced. I don't know. Like that's fair. A hunt. A hundred people is a lot of people. Yeah. Or even even if they even if you said twenty, I'd be like, that's a lot of people to just say like this one thing did it. Honestly, twenty is like well below the conservative number of people affected by the petishabadon. Hmm. Like I think like people who are like really analytical and have looked at literally every source are like. I'm willing to go 40, and that's as low as I'll go, as people actually affected by this dude. Wow. Yeah. I should have brought that up earlier. I think I thought I put a note in, but I might have gotten rid of that note. But yeah, Thylacine is the closest that looks like Libet de Javadon, in my personal opinion. Are they big? Yeah. I'll get into Mm. my little witchy, metaphysical, spooky headspace in a second here. But before I do that... I'm ready for that. 
Other weird theories involve the Bet de Gévaudan being a wolf-dog hybrid in history, ah, which makes very little sense, or the prehistoric dire wolf that survived Loch Ness Monster style, regardless of history, which is also a silly theory, but it sounds fun. All being said, though, I don't think that this is an entirely magical or metaphysical thing that took place in France at the time. When I first jumped into the story, I was like, ready for a werewolf story? Bada bing, bada boom, let's go. But the more I read it, the more I'm like, an animal is behind this. And it went for throats and stuff like that. But it hasn't anything to do with anything magical that anybody has reported at any point in time. And there is nothing historically that mirrors the story in any way that I feel satisfied with. With as much as the death toll, again, like, 40 people dying from this cryptid is the lowest estimate that I could find. People are actually getting affected by this, and that is something that I have yet to see mirrored historically. Um, But also, the beast's description is also completely different to anything I've ever seen people describe, especially in terms of werewolves and dogmen. I have entrenched myself... In some dogman stories, I have entrenched myself in some werewolf stories, and the Bet de Gévaudan has far too many differences to those guys than makes me feel like this is a werewolf or something like that. Uh, this beast has never showed up in the area before 1764, and was never spotted again in the area after 1767. All being said, if it did hang around, the media probably wouldn't be too interested in it, though, considering the American Revolution would happen, and more importantly to France, the French Revolution would happen. So the newspapers would be like, oh, we have something to talk about. The bed is no longer interesting to us. But, like, those are my thought processes. I'm like, it's hard to pin this to a magical origin. I'm just liking a lot of detail that I've looked for. Yeah. In, like magical cryptid origin. And and I mean to me that's like the creature had this like haunting aura or like piercing eyes or like it was seen only in these circumstances. It's very vague. Yeah. And just like it, it's very like, here it is, this is what it was. It did some things. It's like And it's not even a haunting aura. Like this dude is actually killing people in a very real real way as published by the newspaper. Like cryptids don't do that. No, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Is I guess I'm a little dissatisfied because ultimately it's like, and I'm dissatisfied. I don't know if I'm dissatisfied, but like ultimately it's like, this is a pretty shitty cryptid. And I don't mean it as like, yeah. <gasps> bad story. I mean more like, no, but like it's, it's just a, it's just a monster. Yeah. You know, there's nothing where it's like, let's trace this lore and, and like find out these interesting facts. It's like, it just killed a bunch of people. Yeah, it There's showed up at a point and killed a bunch of people and disappeared. And it's not like... Like, France has a werewolf history, but nobody in France at the time was like, here's a werewolf, we gotta deal with this. They were like, here's a wolf-wolf, we have to deal with this. Like, a lot of people in France at the time thought it was straight up a wolf, but the descriptions are weird and the wolf behavior is off. Yeah. No, that being said... The whole thing is suspicious. Um, all being said, some people described the beast as phasing in and out of reality. Like some apocryphal stuff very little of the stories involve this but people will see it like appearing killing and disappearing and it does have the methodical way of killing that it goes for the throats and that sticks out to my head but the beast also definitely like ate the people also after it went for their throats it didn't just kill them and left like it got some food from it and maybe metaphysically speaking the beast showed up as like 
a manifestation of violence in France, considering this is a major war there, and this is like, I am the aspect of war and violence, and I'm committing that. But that's, like, getting into some biblical four horsemen logic, and that's weird and silly to me. The only reason I think that's a little silly is because it was only to be followed by more war. <laughs> yeah, this is not the worst war that will happen in France in history, by far. I mean, unless there was another terrifying, devouring creature that followed the French Revolution. I mean, I'm talking about, like, in France in general, if, like, a wolf cryptid's gonna show up, you'd think it'd show up during World War II. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Unrelated to anything, though, does the original story of the Beauty and the Beast come from this legend? I was thinking about that before I finished making my notes, and I was like, fuck, I gotta look that up. And the answer is, no. The original Beauty and the Beast story popped up in 1740, 25 years before the Beast popped up for real. Although, I will admit that the Disney version kind of borrows a few of the descriptions for their design for their Beast in it. So they kind of probably looked up the bit of Jevedon for their little making the Beast in Disney version and going from there. But he also kind of looks like the Guild Wars Char species, which is kind of like a cat... With horns. And that's that tangent. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, like, it's a good question. I just wanted to bring it up because people are like, is it related to that? I know Beauty and the Beast is French. Unrelated. No, no. It's a good point, but it's just like, it's... Mm, mm. This one's a little far-reaching for me. Yeah. But I do like the thought process. It's definitely like if I were on your, if I were like thinking about it and doing all the research you did, and I was like hashtag shower thoughts, it would definitely hit me like that. <laughs> that was a hashtag shower thought for real. Mm-hmm. That is like also though the last note that I wrote down. We are at full conclusions now, and I have no more notes to talk about. If you have any thoughts you want to get out, uh, I guess. I guess looking at, at, at this from a holistic standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, it's totally plausible that there were a few wolf attacks to start this off, mm-hmm. rabid or you know otherwise, who knows. But I think that something else happened based on the, the stories and the, the articles that you've discussed. Yeah. I get your thought processes. If it were, like, a dozen attacks, in my head it'd be like, that's weirdly high for wolves, not outside the realm of possibility. Once you get to, like, 40 plus in my head, I'm like, there's no way this is just some wolves fucking around. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, I guess personally, I kind of look at it as, like, I'm fairly sure that there was human involvement in this. I don't know if it was, like, a man in a fucking weirdo fursuit. Or if it was just a guy that stabbed people and then blamed it on wolves. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it definitely doesn't seem like that's as likely because there were eyewitnesses that got away. Yeah. Especially the seven kids one. Like, once seven kids see the beast and survive, in my head, I'm like, all of them can't be thinking it's not a dude in a suit. Like, one of them would have to see a zipper or something. But I will say that man in a costume is more realistic than escaped hyena or lion. That's for sure. Okay. I, but, okay, but here, let me throw this back it's back to you real quick. Yeah. They didn't have zippers, right? Oh, you're right. Shit, 
This shit would have been grotesque, my dude. It would have been a I'm very talking, bad for his suit work. I mean, like, it would have been nasty, right? Yeah. Like, so this this would have been, like, a monster-looking thing, no matter how you parse it. Yeah. <laughs> so I could definitely see, like, you know, you have seven kids, and you're like, oh, you know, the kids wouldn't know. But it's like, but would they really? I mean, like, these kids have never, maybe never seen a wolf in their lives. They've and definitely they see never this, seen a fursuit. Right, and they've definitely never seen a fursuit. And not to mention, like, never seen, like, a Doha Cacti or, like, you know, uh, any of the other, like, big names. It's, it's, it's yeah. like, they haven't even seen the basic ones. Um, <laughs> so they look at this terrifying creature, which could just be a man in a suit making these noises and dragging their friend away. I could see them thinking that it's, like, a wolf. Or some terrifying wolf-esque creature. Even the one getting dragged yeah. away could have felt the same thing. Like, they wouldn't know what a wolf does. Yeah, and it's not like they're looking at it as a taxonomist. They're looking at it as like, oh shit, this thing's attacking my friend. And it also pulled our friend away from us. We have to fight it back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you but, know what? Yeah. If I were to be in my head, like, a logical thing happened. Dude in a costume is the most logical thing that makes sense to me. And also, if I get my little magical witch head, I'm never going to be like, this is a werewolf, and I don't think this story warrants me being like, here's a nature spirit. Okay, okay, so for context, sometimes people will look at, like, Bigfoot or something and be like, this is a nature spirit, it's here in the forest, it manifests, it disappears as a nature spirit would, bada bing, bada boom. The Bete Jevedan doesn't have that mo even a little bit it shows up actually kills people and hangs around in the same spot for a very limited amount of time never to be seen in history again and that's weird it is yeah even yeah, from a no, metaphysical I angle i can't parse the bet the jevedon even a little bit but you know like those are those are some of my favorite stories is when it's yeah. like we don't we don't know what happens. Like, ooh, he could come back and like he's It's outside of even my cycle. theories and my theories are fucking bonkers. <laughs> this guy's outside of I, that. I I just I mean like I don't know. This thing's this thing's pretty crazy. I definitely am glad that you you took the time to teach me about it. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on for this one. I'm glad you like yeah, it as much fun. as you do. Oh, yeah. No, this is a blast. It's great. I'm just I'm just getting tired, so I'm starting to wear down. But, like, ultimately... No, you're good. I think I ran out of thoughts also. <laughs> like, even after we've discussed all this, I'm sitting at the story and I'm like, I have no conclusions. I have no idea what the fuck happened. But something definitely happened. Like, it's not, like, a made-up thing. I just think it's in this era that there's so much, like you, you said this earlier, but like it's in the era where there's so much chaos and there's so much people, there's so many people that are just having a very difficult time that like, yeah. it could have just been a serial killer and people wouldn't have even been like, they wouldn't have reacted the way they normally would have. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Yeah, so, you're right about that. Because like, not to get meta, but like, COVID fucking hit, and, like, basic normal things have changed a lot. Like, the, the world we live in is not the same one we had two or three years ago. That's for certain. And 
I'm not gonna say that like they're fucking werewolves because of COVID, because like they probably aren't. Maybe. But like if but, a, like, but you're right, like that sort of thought process like there's a little bit of like a I don't wanna call it a panicky thought process, but like with COVID, there's like a, a like the, the news in general has been like weird. And so anytime you hear a story, it's like, I can't 100% verify this, and I know that unless there's an eyewitness present, I don't know what happened 100%. Exactly. Yeah. And that sort of thought process could happen in this period of time even easier because there's no internet. Yeah. No, I think that's the biggest factor here. And that's why I, I, like, I find it interesting, and I think there's some good stuff to go off of, but I feel like some of the juicier stories happen as technology begins to emerge more. Yeah. And we get you to see some, You should check out the like, episode I did last time. It was a early 2010s episode. I never see, did that. that sounds pretty dope. <laughs> Look up Fresno Nightcrawlers. It's weird as fuck, and they've got video. I like that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. The internet makes these stories like infinitely in a different context. So anytime you hear something about this, you're like, the internet wasn't around. People don't have the information that we have and don't have an available readiness to look it up. So it's like, you always got to look at these stories with that lens. And with this in specific, it's like, there's no reason this, there's no way this was just a straight up wolf. And that I know for a fact, like it's a weird animal or a weird dude in costume or something magical that I don't understand as the magical Forsetti boy that I am. But, like, even regardless of that, nobody had the ability to look up a picture of a wolf. So that's, like, gonna inform the story for a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that adds a lot of detail. Yeah. Well... It's it's always it it's good because this is a silly drunk podcast and we don't have to come up with the conclusions to anything at any point because I'm not Hell gonna yeah. prove Bigfoot's real. I'm not gonna prove Bigfoot's real until I do, and then I will. <laughs> and then I will just watch. Yeah, I, if I see Bigfoot for real and get it on camera, you'll know I'll prove it. But I'm not gonna see the Bet de Jevedon anytime soon, and that's a fact. Oh my god, this podcast episode got long. <laughs> my wife went to bed in the time that we've been talking. I'm so happy for her. <laughs> Thank you for coming on for this podcast for the extent Hell that yeah. you did. It's been a fantastic romp, and I appreciate you as a guest so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I think we're we're in like full wrap up mode. Is there anything you want to talk about before we adjourn? No, it's been fun. I would do it again. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'd have you again. It's been fantastic. Cool. Um, I don't have anything to say to end the episode, so I'm gonna end this episode with, um, I was drinking three of these French toast liquor shot these beers that are french toast flavored and if i remember like these were too sweet for my palate i drank three of them willingly they're good drink them that's how we'll end <laughs> i like that that's a good plug thank you Love that. no no the last okay no i wanted to plug one <gasps> thing okay 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 nah because i'm cool now i'm cool so you know the series that's coming out the first lady where it's like a biopic on three first ladies right okay 
So, apparently, one of my friends came over. It was Colin Evans, a podcast co-host once in the past. Colin Evans is the brother of one of my very close high school friends, Jacob Evans. And he is actually also the friend of my little brother, Alex Sargent, who has also been on the podcast. Colin Evans showed up earlier today. He was talking about, hey there, do you remember Darius Bedletter? Darius Bedletter, who's that? When I was in high school, I did community theater work at Kalamazoo Civic Auditorium in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I was in a Nancy Drew play. And I was in a Nancy Drew play with Darius Bedletter, who we were both actors. We were good friends. I love Darius so much. Colin Evans showed up to my house today looking for my brother to hang out. Sadly, he was at work. And he was like, did you know Darius Ledbetter is in the First Lady show? Like, he went to school, studied acting in Florida, and is in the actual biopic. And he's Michelle Obama's dad at the wedding. One of my close friends is Michelle Obama's dad in the First Lady TV show. So if you listen to Fox Esoterica, you're obligated to watch the First Lady TV show. Because I know Darius Bedletter. I love him so much. He's really cool. There's a 0% chance he listens to this, to this podcast. I haven't spoken to him in eight years. But uh, I'm going to claim that he's my friend because he is in a TV show. And he's Michelle Obama's dad in that TV show. Wow. I can't believe yeah. you're Michelle Obama's dad. I'm three degrees of separation away from Michelle Obama herself, actually. <laughs> it's a lot closer than I am. You're four now. You're on this podcast. Heck yeah. You're being you're four degrees away from Michelle Obama. You're welcome. I feel powerful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That's a good place to end the episode. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening to Foxo Esoterica. Now I have to comb my records and notes for another canine cryptid, but probably not for long. There are a lot, don't you worry. Let's move on to the review corner. And for this episode, we're going to be looking at the Marie-Jean Vallée monument, because I find it quite cool looking. You can probably look it up and be like, wow, that was cool looking. These will be translated from French, so they might sound less articulate than if they were written by native English speakers and not Google Translate, but there are also like a total of 10 reviews total, and all of them are 3 stars or above, so we're not going to be expecting anything too spicy. Yves Sombres writes, Very beautiful. Museum. Very beautiful. Decorations to see. Absolutely beautiful visit. 5 stars. Lucien Mal here writes, Beautiful. I will come back. Five stars. Thierry Didier writes, Unmissable detour in the history of the Beast of Gévaudan. Five stars. Yeah, it's just overwhelmingly positive. We love French art and, once again, shout out to Philippe Kaplan, or Kaplan, one of those is right, for making it. Thanks once again to my lovely guest, Bean the Bunny. They're amazing and I appreciate them. And also, I think I should have put this in the intro, a little bit of an unscripted tangent, just because of the way I'm releasing the scripts and such, but I do believe that I have my first introductory YouTube video for the way I kind of want to do my YouTube channel outside of just Foxo Esoterica, out at this point. If I don't, I'm going to try to get it out a couple days after the podcast airs, so you know, eventually this will be right. But it'll be an introduction to the channel, explain what I want to do, and mostly talk about the things that I have been doing the past two years regarding moving, immigration, 
marriage, and complicated things. But it'll be fun, I think. I haven't made it yet. I'm recording this before I record the actual Fox Esoteric episode. The timeline's confused and muddled. However, it's time for me to talk about the block of text that I pretty much talk about every episode. You can find Fox Esoterica on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at F-O-R-S-E-T-I-F-O-X, and you can support Fox Esoterica on Patreon and Coffee at F-O-R-S-E-T-I-F-O-X for both, and both of them have capital Fs. Thanks again to Sun El Chiquito for the podcast artwork. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've been talking about canine cryptids again, and I've canonically summoned them, and this is going to quickly turn into a not-safe-for-work podcast if you stick around, so I might as well end the episode here. Some of you would like me to continue, wouldn't you? It's because you're pervs. And correct.